Today is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today, we uh, talk about whether or not Thomas actually touched Jesus. Uh, the verse talking about, you know, Jesus says, put your hands here in my side and my hands. Um, did he actually do that? Um, let's talk about that. And then we talk a lot about demons and suicide. Who wanted that today? Uh, demons and suicide. So that's the topic. And mental health, mental issues. Um, is it demonic? Is it just the fall of you know mankind? Is it people's own issues? Um, so have fun. That's really about the only topics we cover. Uh, there's a few more sprinkled in, but this is a wide discussion of these topics. Inch wide, mile deep. Is that the saying? So check it out. Hope you like it. Share this link. Uh, share this podcast with people. You can read the Ask a Christian book now available on Amazon, free with Kindle Unlimited subscription. You can check out the Ask a Christian store, grab a t-shirt, support the cause, or and click the donate link and help support us sharing the gospel with people on the internet. Uh, until next time, goodbye. Wonderful. So first I thought we could all play a, I'll play a game real fast. And that oh, game fast. is, play we'll, we'll, we'll take just a moment and everyone find all the references in our Bible you can find that prophesy the coming of Muhammad. There are two acceptable answers. We'll give you all just a second to think about that. Like Jeopardy music. I'm about to say, I want the Jeopardy music. I can't think again. All right. Revelation. So who has all, all the re- I'm going to bet what reference number one would be revelations in those times will be false prophets, like something along those lines. So, yeah, the acceptable answers were none at all or false prophet. So congratulations, Rab, the atheist wins the Christian game. Yeah, like or the prophecy of the coming Antichrist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought if someone said Antichrist or false prophet, you know, depending on without getting too theologically in depth about it, I would accept either answer. Um, but uh, yeah, so Antichrist slash false prophet or not at all. Um, anyway, <laughs> like yesterday, oh gosh, it was, I, mean, I don't know. It's just cr- people are really creative. Um, it's Isaiah 42 11, and the, it, the, the section starts right before that with the, the verse prior. And the whole thing is, is about singing a song to God. Uh, because you know he he is God. Uh, that that's the whole the whole context of like the cluster of verses. So um, they skip the first one, and they're like, "Look, it says you know the Lord is coming and he's going to be strong." And and then they're like, "Lord, that just means like you know they're comparing to like King Arthur. They're like that just means Lord, like you know someone who's like uh, you know strong and noble." I'm like, "Oh my gosh." I'm like, no, Lord, like, cap, like, yes, it does mean that if you're, like, talking about King Arthur and fighting dragons or whatever, but, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, capital L, capital Lord, that, that means God, that means Jehovah, and they're like, no, no, in the original Bible, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, fine, let's look at the original language. Sure enough, the original language, yep, it means Jehovah. I'm like, there's, it's not Muhammad, bro, it's not. I mean, that, it's like, man, if, if you guys wanted to try to make a case to compel Christians of the stuff you believe, there would be much better ways to do it than that. Like, that is just so ridiculous, right? I don't know. I mean, Rab, you're pretty neutral on this. I mean, there would be better ways than just, like, trying to pull obscure passages in Scripture back. There, that's totally talking about our guy when it's not in any sense of the meaning. Like, 
yeah. there's well, better ways they could try to lead so people astray. <laughs> the way, the way, yes, there, there are, yes, of course. But the way, if I am, if I am channeling my inner Muslim to, to do this, I would say it's not that those words mean Muhammad now. Our point is that they used to, and they've been corrupted to lead you astray. So what you're reading is the shadowy, is the after effect of a transition of the actual message to what you're reading, but that was originally intending to be Mohammed. Right. And then, I mean, you know, to that, I guess I'd say, same answer. I bet, you know, the original word means Jehovah. So if by, you know, it was corrupted and all that, and you say the original meaning was Muhammad, well, if you're calling Muhammad the one true God of the universe, then sure. But they're like, no, 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 yeah. he's, he's not Allah. He's not Allah. And like, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> so what was your, uh, what are your questions today, Reb? Why don't right, you give, so, them, give them all to us and then we'll pick the best yeah. ones. Okay. So what I'm working through here is I'm trying to come up with like, so yesterday they've been discussing the resurrection and stuff like that. So I just want a model of the resurrection in my head so I can, I can understand. Cause there's one thing, and I hate to use this pun, but I don't know a better one. It's been hard to nail down. Right. So what I'm looking for is prior, like two weeks prior to the resurrection. So two weeks prior to the crucifixion, it's like two weeks prior to the crucifixion, Jesus is walking down the street. So people see him. So my question would be, is his human flesh without blemish or is it only his soul? Like, does he have hangnails? Does he have like calluses on his feet where he stepped on a rock? Or is he generally as perfect condition bodily as a human could be? That's a great question. The Bible would give little to no evidence about that, or the evidence it would give would would make you think he was he was normal. So sin is the issue here, right? So like you needed a sinless lamb. So a hangnail would not qualify as sin. So you know whether he had a hangnail or not, that's inconsequential. Um, I'm given to think that you know he you know he was trained by his father Joseph, who was a carpenter. He probably smashed himself with a mallet at one point. Um, you know he probably did something. Uh, to make his his physical body less than what someone would say is perfect, but to your cal- uh, callous reference, could you call that a blemish? I mean, that's like you know that's like the natural way of like making one resistant to things. So if he didn't have calluses from like you know walking too much or something like that, that that could be an imperfection because the body is not like you know taking necessary you know steps to to heal and overcome its problem. Uh, but anyways, no, it's in regards to sin. So uh, you yeah. know we're not told Jesus had a hangnail, but if he did doesn't matter. Hangnail's not sin. Okay. So in other words, so this actually works better in my mind now, because basically what we're saying is Jesus's body healing just worked off of normal human function. So he'd have scars, he'd have cuts. He could have like, that would be totally possible. That That's no big deal. So if you looked at Jesus beforehand, he might have a scar where he cut himself um, on doing some carpentry. I mean, sure, there's no reason to think otherwise. Like after the resurrection, when Jesus, you know, walks through the wall and appears to Thomas, he's like, here, check out these scars so, in my hand from where the nails were. So, I mean, he still you right. know, had those scars. Right. So now that's what I'm trying to get to here is that, okay, so now beforehand, we're okay with Jesus having scars. That's fine because it actually helps. Now, Jesus is dead three days later. So what are the bodily properties of Is he, if you saw Jesus afterwards just walking down the street— would he be exactly the same as all like you saw him two weeks prior? Would you notice any difference? Because people didn't even see him, and then he was walking through walls. So there feels to be something different 
about him, but yet I don't know, like, was he body just like you and me? Was he body just like himself beforehand? So he tells us, uh, you know, whenever, um, whenever the women run up and try to like Mary tries to like run up and hug him or whatever, he's like, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father. So, you know, we're told that, you know, he's got this resurrected type body and we're not, we're not told what that is. Like we're not told the properties. So you could read into it and say, well, because of these properties, this, whatever this glorified body is, that means that, um, you know, that's why he was able to hide himself and the disciples didn't recognize him at first. That's why he was able to walk through walls. Or you could say, no, that's totally fine. That's independent of this glorified body. You know, he had a glorified body, which is, has some properties, but then his walking through walls and stuff like that, that's just because, you know, he's God and it's just another miracle that he can do if he wants. So, I mean, the Bible doesn't explain itself in that way. So it could be a property of this glorified body, or it could just be because he had a glorified body, but completely as a separate point, Jesus was doing these other miracles of walking through, you know, corporeal. But his glorified body had, had, I'm sorry, but his glorified body had scars? That uh, says that in the future, you know, Israel will look upon Jesus and see that he was pierced. Right. So yeah, whenever he shows Thomas, this is that. Yes. Did he? So if he had a hangnail two weeks prior to the crucifixion, would he have it after the after the resurrection? Would it still be healing? So, or did uh, everything hit healed? Like, was he purpose? Was it the rest of them totally healed except for the 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 remnants of the the crucifixion? There's no biblical way to answer that. The only the only the, the only way we can get something from the Bible is talking about like the spear in his side and the marks in his hands. Um, as far as any other thing, I mean, we can conjecture, which is what we're doing now, but it's just a guess or opinion. We have no idea. Uh, but so, the things it does say are the you know the piercing in his side and the scars in his hand. Um, so yes, we we believe biblically speaking, if you saw Jesus right the second, he would still have those scars. Uh, in his hands. So did he, okay, what does glorified mean? I guess in that case, what, did, what is that? Great question. We don't exactly body. know. <laughs> I have a the conjecture that uh, whenever Jesus appeared before Thomas and he told him to put his finger in the wounds and everything, that whenever Thomas did that, he stuck his finger in the side of Jesus and that his finger tap felt the beating heart of Jesus beating around the tip of his finger. Wait, you know, where does his... It, where does it say that? It never, yeah, it never says that, right? Yeah, like I said, it's just conjecture, but, you know, Jesus told him to touch his wounds. And that's whenever uh, Thomas said, my Lord and my God, I think if uh, I stuck my finger in this hole in the side of Jesus and I felt his heart beating around my fingertip, I would say, my Lord and my God, too. Well, honestly, if your friend that was just crucified walked through a door, that was closed and appeared to you in a room. I don't believe you would need to touch him to go, Oh my God, this is him. But yet Thomas did. I mean, who knows? Maybe Thomas well, was like, well, okay, well, never mind. I believe. And then he's like, no, go ahead right. and do it. <laughs> like you no, want no, to do it. Actually, go ahead. No, but that actually is the case, right? Because Thomas says, yeah, I'm not going to believe it until I do this. Jesus walks through the door and says, well, here I am. And Thomas says, my Lord, my God. So it actually doesn't say that he did that. Uh, hang on. We, Let's. We, we probably need to read this if I get to a Bible or if you have your atheist version. Um, <laughs> but doesn't it say he, he just is like, you know, here, put your hand in my side and here, put your hand on the scars. Like, doesn't he say like, um, so like, Jesus here, says, here, do this, basically do this. So 
Right. So like either you have to assume that Thomas is like, okay, I just saw Jesus walk through a wall and he's just like told me to do something. So either I'm going to do that as the story implies, or I'm going to be like, no, no, no. <laughs> Which you think would have been mentioned. Well, no, no. I think like, no, the issue is, or he goes, look, I'm good. Totally covered. Right. Nope. I don't need to do anything else at this point. Just here, put this, do this. Nope. Like he doesn't say no. He just says, I believe you. And it could have easily said, and Thomas did and believed. I mean, it could have been, that's all you have to do is have like one more sentence in there to say it happened. And it's not like the Bible is ever short on expository, right? So it's not like it ever just drops, like it has huge expository statements about things that it goes through. So it doesn't seem like, oh, well, of course, this is unimportant to mention that he actually did what Jesus commanded. And so, I mean, there's no reason I think they wouldn't, right? I mean, these people are all ones that end up being martyrs for the cause. So, I mean, I guess what's the um, what's the pyramid of salt you're building? Is it to say that you question whether or not Thomas actually touched the scars in Jesus' hand? And if so, what's no, no, no. the point? No, no, no. My point was that I, I, so I'm totally trying to figure out. So Tom Rabbit is running an argument, which I think is pretty stupid. I, I actually don't think this is a good argument, um, but it's something along the lines of, Jesus didn't, if Jesus's flesh didn't decay, he wasn't really dead. And so one of the things is, though, it's unclear about the properties of Jesus's body post-resurrection. So we don't even know what we're saying this, this Jesus, um, Jesus being was after the resurrection, because normal human bodies can't walk through walls and don't teleport from town to town seven miles apart. That's not a normal property of humans. So it doesn't feel like it's a normal body. So at that point, then, what was risen? And is it just flesh teleporting around? Is it like, that's kind of where I'm trying to get at. It doesn't feel like a normal human we're talking about. Yeah, he wouldn't be a normal human at that time. He'd be a glorified human. I mean, there's so much, uh, I'm trying to bring up some references, but I mean, I don't think you're going to have the answer you want, but I mean, there are certain things that, you know, we're told about these new glorified bodies, like, you know, like in uh, Corinthians, um, like Corinthians 15, like Paul talks about this and he talks about how, you know, it's after the resurrection of death, after the resurrection of the dead, these glorified bodies are, they're like transformed into like perfected bodies. Um, Whoa, Whoa, wait, that's now that's key there. They're like perfected body. Then how does he still have scars? Right. That's a great point. So, I mean, how much do you want to read into that? Per what does perfect mean? Does perfect mean can't be corrupted anymore? Does perfect mean can't be subject to sin anymore? We could talk about what perfected means, but I think if, you know, the God of the universe went through the trouble to, you know, offer himself as a sacrifice and got crucified, um, it's perfectly reasonable to me that he'd be like, yeah, I mean, I could, you know, I could get rid of these scars. I mean, I, I could also like make myself look like a unicorn, but I mean, you know, why would I want to get rid of these scars? Like when I specifically, the entire point of the Bible and my mission coming to earth was to redeem these people by letting people murder me and crucify me. Why would I get rid of these scars? Like that's the whole point I did it. Why wouldn't I keep it around so people can, I don't know, see me in heaven and be like, oh yes, let us never forget. I mean, you know, I think there's lots of reasons why if you're perfected, um, especially if that means, and I think in this, it's a spiritual sense, like meaning you can't be, you know, you're not subjected to sin or something like that. You can't be corrupted. You can't be, you know, um, you can't die again. 
Right. But like, for example, if a someone that's paralyzed or bodies horribly disfigured, um, I believe the Christian position is like after the resurrection of the body, like for all the Christians, if you're believing in that second life, you're going to say that person's no longer disfigured, that the disfigurement is gone. Or I mean, we don't know. Going to, I mean, it's yeah. yeah, we don't know. I mean, there's only like it's in uh, Philippians and Corinthians are the only kind of indications. And Paul basically says we will be transformed to be like Christ. So does that mean people with uh, only one arm will now have two arms? Does it mean, you know, the true perfect state is everyone has four arms and will be like Goro? Um, I mean, that's ridiculous. But, you know, the Bible is silent. So it's usually behooves us to be silent, except when we know we're just giving opinions and talking about it. But I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I don't see a reason why a person born with one arm wouldn't have two arms. I don't see why a reason why someone couldn't walk uh, can now walk. Um, who knows? Maybe we fly. Maybe we fly without wings. I don't know. Like nobody knows. Like we can sound real crazy real, real quick. Um, but, you know, the Bible basically says we'll be like Christ. And Christ says, you know, don't touch him yet because he hasn't yet ascended to the father. Um, so wait, did he ascend and, then, and come back? That's like so he ascended and came back and then kept going and then reascended. So he ascended twice. No. Um, which uh, right I'm after he resurrects, like right after he resurrects, he tells that to Mary. But then right. you know, he goes on and says, hey, Thomas, check out these scars. So, right. you know, that, that would almost win some kind of credence. I mean, I, I still don't believe that, but that would be a better way to make your argument that maybe Thomas didn't touch him or uh, I don't know, maybe something else happened because I don't know, God, or maybe it just wasn't for Mary or I don't know, maybe it had to do with the customs of women and men. And it was fine for, you know, Thomas who, you know, there was no indication that he was going to like, you know, like Thomas was a dude. So he's like, yeah, bro, check out my scars, but not you woman, because you know, if you touch me, that means we have to, I don't know, get married in our culture. It's improper for well, you to touch me. Like who knows? How was she going to, well, how was she going to touch him after he ascended? No, after he resurrected, not ascended. No, no, no. Sorry. He says, don't touch me yet for I haven't ascended. Right. So how was she going to touch him after he ascended? Like it would be, it seems like a, you can't touch me period. Right. Cause it's not a, once I, cause that, that has the implication of once I'm done coming out of my cocoon, you can touch me. Right. Once I've completed this process, then you can touch me. Is what that statement's always felt like to me. I'm not ready yet. But there'll be a point where you can touch me. So yeah, if that's not the statement, yeah, is he just going to? Is it just ascending once and that's it? And she can't ever touch him on Earth. That's the common understanding. I mean, unless he made a bunch of trips that the Bible, you know, is not clear about. But no, like generally, it's understood that he resurrects. He's like, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father. And it doesn't mean like, you know, a Highlander, like how he ascends or transforms, like, and then hangs around here on earth. Like, you know, ascended in this context means flies up to heaven. Like right after Thomas, you know, Jesus hangs out with him, has some fish, has some food, stuff like that. So apparently he can still eat in his glorified body. And then, you know, the disciples and like, what, 500 people, like lots of people are around and Jesus like flies off into the sky. Did those people touch him? That would be the ascension. Uh, there's no record of that. So... He was, was, I guess I'm like, so according to Christian tradition, he was touched by Thomas, not by Mary, because Mary was told not to because he hadn't ascended, but not because you're a woman and I haven't ascended. So you're adding that in that of why he would say this. Yeah. Remember that conjecture thing that I said we shouldn't yeah, do? Yeah, okay. That's what I did. Yeah. Got <laughs> it. Yeah, I would actually say in that case, then you should not conjecture. You shouldn't make the claim that Thomas did touch Jesus because that's not written. Well, ascension. no, I think. 
Well, this is where Chris would say you need to read a book, Rab. You need to read how to read hermeneutic studies. So, I mean, it's the author's intent, right? So is the author, and we know, like, sure, why couldn't they add another, added another line? Maybe it's so we can have this conversation 2,000 years later. But they also didn't, you know, absence of evidence is not evidence, yeah, evidence of absence. So it leaves it open-ended, but everything up to and leading up to it would suggest that, yeah, he does as Jesus commands. You know what? Let's just read the story. Yeah. So, because I, 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 yeah, the, uh, so because look at like the first 29 there, right? That's actually kind of my, would be my clue that he didn't touch. Let's see. John 20. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, uh, John 20, 24. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. Uh, I'm just reading on Google, so I don't know what translation this is. Called the twin, uh, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in the side, I will never believe. Uh, eight days later. Uh, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have seen and have yet uh, believed. So seen, not touched. Do you believe because you've seen? So it actually says, because not because you have touched me, but because you have seen me. And blessed are those who don't see me, right? So I would actually say that lends credence to Thomas didn't touch. Yeah, but it says he I put mean, his finger in there. Well, it says Jesus like told him to. So I think the understand. I mean, you know, it's implied that Thomas did as Jesus said. But regardless, like I, I don't know why, other than just for kicks, we're talking about this. You could. You can make the case. I mean, I guess, Rab, that, yeah, you know, he says, I, I need to see and then touch. And Jesus is like, all right, here you go. You've seen. Now place your finger here. Place your hand here. And Thomas is like, oh, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus is like, oh, you believe because you've seen. So you can make the case that he did everything up to, but not including touching the scars or putting his hand on the side. Um, I mean, I guess. Yeah. But... That would be, well, two things. That would be a little different than the traditional understanding. I think the way the passage reads, because you think, well, why would you do 99% but not that extra percent? But yeah, I mean, if, if that's not a hill I'm going to die on because it has absolutely nothing to do with, you know. Can I add something to that? Because I'm a blind person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, you know, I, I for me, the word see is exper experiential. People have used see with me all my life because they didn't want me to feel excluded by having to refer to things differently. So I think that when the Bible refers to that, you know, I think it's like, it's like saying, uh, these are things you can experience with your five senses, as opposed to not like the people who have faith is evidence of things unseen. It doesn't say unfelt, untouched, untasted on, un but it's implied. Unfelt would have been an actually trickier thing to put there, right? Imagine if the words "blessed are those who don't feel but still believe," right? That would have been amazingly more difficult for Christians to ponder because then you'd say, "Do you feel the Holy Spirit?" If you don't feel the Holy Spirit, 
because you still believe because you don't feel it. That would be a much harder thing. But in this case, you could say, no, I feel the Holy Spirit. I don't see the Holy Spirit. Hey, Nate, what's the question? I'm, I'm a little bit not understanding what's happening. And since we also have someone else that I don't recognize, I want to jump to them real quick. Yeah, sure, question, go ahead. Lou. Um, it was about John 20, uh, Thomas. Uh, well, I, I forgot what the original question was like 30 minutes ago, but the one we're on now is Thomas uh, putting his hand in Jesus' side, like because, you know, did he actually touch the scars of Jesus on Jesus' hand? Because when Mary goes to hug Jesus or whatever, um, she, he says, you know, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. But then you see Jesus um, seemingly, you know, he commands Thomas. He's like, hey, Touch my side, touch my hands. And, uh, you know, that's what we were talking about now. Like, did Thomas actually touch him? Um, or did, was he, he said he needed to touch him, but then when he saw, he's like, oh, okay, I get it. That's enough. I, I don't need to actually touch. Because he's like, hey, bro, touch my scars, touch my side. And uh, that was the whole question, which, you know, means nothing from the Christian perspective. But that's the uh, question. You want to weigh in real fast, and then we'll see what Diaz will say. No, I'm just curious. So just to clarify, so is he saying... Why did he touch Mary and not touch? I mean, why did he not touch Mary and then allow um, this guy to touch him? I forgot his name. Thomas. Uh, yes. Thomas. Yeah. So, yeah. So why did he not allow Mary to touch him and tell Thomas to touch him? And then the question is, if Thomas did touch him, why him, not Mary? Or did Thomas actually not touch him? Oh, that's easy. That's a real easy um Really easy. Of course it is. Why really do okay, I'm sorry, yeah. before we keep going, how come every theological question is always preceded by the phrase, oh, this is easy? Like, yeah. Well, let's hear the answer and find out. <laughs> yeah, so let me uh, answer. Why is it easy? Um, the, an the answer is nobody knows. Next. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm what? dying. Did you actually said. say something, or was that just a... Yeah, he says nobody knows, <laughs> which is oh, correct, stop. the Bible. I mean, I mean, I think you could read into it and be like, yeah. And then talk about the reasons, but ultimately, you know, if the Bible is silent, it behooves us to be silent. I mean, we D, don't really know. Well, hey, hang on. Well, D, D was up here. I didn't know if she wanted to say something different or say something about this. Yeah, I did want to um, make a suggestion about, you know, there are people who just have to see in order to believe. And maybe Thomas was taking it to the extent of, I need to see it. I need to touch it. I need to smell it. I need to taste it. Like, to the that extent. And then when Jesus came to him, you know, let's just, I mean, let's just say that Jesus had a sense of humor. Like, oh, you want to see me? Here I am. And now go ahead and touch me since you just feel this need. And I'm pretty sure Thomas was so overwhelmed by seeing someone that he knew died on the cross that maybe he didn't have to touch him. Exactly. You know, that's how I, I could, like, yep. if I... Yeah, if I see, like, if I see my, if, if my cousin said that my grandmother passed and he saw it, I'm like, I'm not going to believe it. I need to see it. I need to do her hair. I need to do all of these things to make sure I, and then if her presence presented herself to me, it would, it would have been enough. And maybe with the Mary situation, it's like, she didn't have to touch him because she believed. She believed prior to even when he was gone from the tomb, you know, when he was gone from the tomb. In that instance, she started believing. And then when she saw him, that just confirmed it. Whereas, you know, with maybe that was the miracle save for someone who needed to touch him. And she didn't need to do that. I don't know. I'm, that's just me speculating. 
And I thought that was really funny when Raz said, why do people always say it's easy? Oh, this is easy. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think Lou's answer uh, was easy, right? Like, no one knows. <laughs> well, it's like an easy non-answer, I mean, yes. I mean, who, right. Like, I mean, we could come up with any answer that eventually will be acceptable to someone, but then is it true? Who knows? I mean, you know, maybe Jesus put on a, a Teflon God coating in between talking to Mary. So, you know, for Thomas, he's like, okay, now you can touch me. I have my Teflon coating on. But I mean, you know, that's ridiculous. But if we spent like 15 minutes, we could probably come up with something that we would all agree to and be like, sure, that makes total sense. But is it true? Well, we don't know. So can I say, like, I, I am kind of amazed, though, this resurrection of Jesus is like the critical turning point of Christianity. This is what Christianity turns on. Paul actually said, if it's not for this being real, there's no point in the faith. And yet we have such little explanation or description of what happens afterwards. We have very little description on what actually happened. All we know is, yes, he rose. We don't know what rose means. Came back to life. Like, this is where I'd say. No, like, no, but we you don't. Know, if you want to be super. <clears throat> well, if you want to be like super litigious about it, then you may not, you know, have every jot and tittle of your understand or of your want met. But whenever, you know, they say, okay, Jesus was dead, his lifeless body was taken down from the cross and put in a tomb. And, you know, after, you know, after the time passed, now Jesus, who was lifelessly placed into a tomb, is up walking around, continuing to talk with his disciples, teaching them for 40 days, and lots of people saw this, and then he flies off into the sky. I mean, that's, I mean, the account, that's lots of information, and it's lots of people who witnessed it. So if we don't have, you know, an accounting of every single minute of all 40 days that he hung out, I wouldn't say, you know, that's like destroying Christianity. I'd say, do you get the idea he was dead and now he's not? Well, that, that kind of goes into like, first off, I don't know why we wouldn't expect every single minute of 40 days to be recorded by a guy that came back to life. That doesn't seem like an unreasonable thing to have. Um, but that's not what I would say was destroying Christianity. I would say, and I'm not even saying any of this does. I'm just like wondering, like the idea of we're not even sure if he had a physical touching presence or not, because nobody, we're not sure anyone actually physically touched him. All we know is he possibly ate. Is he really the only evidence we have of a physical body? Right? That's that's it. People saw him, but we don't know if it was physical. Was it like always like this virtual experience of some type? Not a hallucination, but was it like just all photons or some kind of weird beaming thing? We don't know any of this. So when we well, say I mean, a glorified body, we don't even know what that means. Well, it seems like you do. Like you just said it. Like, you know, he physically ate. Like, you know, you said that's that's the only evidence. But I mean, you know, all all you need is one example. So there you go. So, I mean, oh. you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi would probably not be eating in spirit form. It'd be non-corporeal. So, I mean, it seems like Jesus, you know, he's eating and stuff like that. So you don't need continued, uh, you know, how many times did Jesus eat? Did he give someone a high five? Did their hand go through well, him? Well, I mean, it seems like the... he physically ate. So there you go. Well, no, but that would be the, well, no, he made fish disappear, just like he made fish I appear. Have... I have a question. What is the, uh, yeah. I, I, my question is, and maybe this is very simple, but like, why does that, and I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm just really trying to see, like, maybe there's something that I'm missing. Like, does it matter whether or not he ate? I guess my my thing is is that he resurrected himself, which was never done um, prior 
And in order to be, you know, which partially he was, he was the Messiah, he was the prophet. In order for you to be an accurate prophet, the things that you spoke had to come true. So if he spoke that he was, the, you know, in essence, the Messiah, um, and all of the things that he said were happening, and the temple will do this and that, and all of these things that happened in the order that they did happen, that's an indication that, you know, he is who he said he was. So I guess my question is, why, why would it matter if he was able to eat or not or touch or not? I, I was just wondering that. It's me? Yeah. I guess that was you. Yeah. That was you. So my my only issue is one of okay, so you just said he resurrected. And the question is, what does that mean? Because is it the same physical body he had before the crucifixion? Because if so, why is this physical body able to walk through walls and go through things where or just teleport from town to town? That doesn't seem to be the same physical body. So when you say resurrected, what do you mean by the words resurrected? The word. Came back to life. But for example, there, hang on. I was trying to look up some other references for you in case you care. But it seems like, you know, Acts, uh, you know, 1, 9, and 11, they're talking about the ascension again, how he was lifted up into heaven. Um, let's see. John 20, we talked about Thomas. Yeah, it seems like he invited. So, I mean, unless unless you're just trying to, like, read a, a gotcha or a ha-ha moment, like, yep, oh, just kidding, or psych, bro. You know how you, like, try to give someone a high-five and, like, you know, move your hand at the last minute, like, ah Unless you're reading something like that into it, like, he fully invited him. So maybe Jesus knew he would an invitation would be enough, and he, he'd be like, oh, no, I don't actually need to. I see. That's enough. Or if he was like, okay, you invited me, just like when he invited Peter to walk on water, what happened? He wasn't like, ha-ha, psych, bro, just kidding. Peter walked on water. Um, so there's no reason to think, uh, that he invited Thomas. So if, 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 um, Thomas did, then he'd be like, okay, well, there's flesh. It's not a game. It's not a joke. But in, uh, let's see, Luke, uh, uh, yeah, it talks about how his disciples, where was it? <laughs> it says, I, I want to go back and read this actual passage, but in Luke 24, 36, apparently, <clears throat> And I remember some of this, how it saw, it, they like thought they were seeing a ghost. Like they thought they were seeing a spirit. And, uh, you know, Jesus, that's, he shows them his hands and feet and ate a piece of broiled fish uh, with them. So I think all evidence points to a physical body. But let me check out did, the loop. Yeah, did they touch him? Wait, wait, did they touch him? They thought it was a ghost. Did they then reach out and touch him to say it's not a ghost? No, this he showed them his feet and hands. Th right, so that's his, fish. why not touch him? I mean, why not? Like, you know, if they touched him, man, why is that? Why is that enough? Like that. <laughs> well, I mean, if we if we want to if we want to continue down that line of questioning, though, like if they touch him, then you would say, or I would say, I'd I'd kick you out of the way, and then I would say, okay, well, if a handshake was enough, uh, okay, well, no, why not a hug? Okay, if a hug's not enough, then you know, why didn't they like you know give each other piggyback rides around? Uh, why but, didn't they you know go play contact sports? Like, uh, like there's you could do this unendingly up into a really uncomfortable point to emphasize a physicality. No, but I understand that. But it, like in a very real sense, we have the emphasizing of, of physicality is broiled fish. And Eating don't forget a Thomas. physical act. It doesn't say that Thomas didn't touch him. Doesn't yeah. say that he did touch him. 
He had to pick well, right, up for, so he did touch something. Yeah, I mean, for for this whole line of argumentation to even matter, which none of this does, uh, we have to have a new topic. I've, I've wasted 46 minutes of my life. And you had other questions, right? So we're going to go to one of your other questions. But yeah, I mean, that, the premise would have to be true that Thomas didn't touch him. So And there's no way to know if that's true or not. So, well, what was your next question? Oh, no, this, 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 wait, 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 this, yeah, this kind of ends it. This kind of ends it, right? Because the idea is, like, what was actually Jesus' physical body afterwards? Because it goes into the, what does glorified body mean? Is it, like, why have this, the nail holes? Did he have the same scars before from before? Like, that's kind of the curiosity. If, it, if the answer's all, eh, it's unclear. All right, we're good. Um, that actually ends my conversation. So I'll hand it over to somebody else with a better conversation. Than but... I just like to add that what's fascinating here is that a oh. what? Oh, hang on, sorry, I, I got something else. Um, I mean, there there is wiggle room for you, Rab. But in Luke twenty four thirty six, it says, as they were talking about these things, the resurrection, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "Peace be to you." Uh, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, "Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Uh, why does doubt arise in your hearts?" See my hands and my feet, uh, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, um, he showed them their hands and feet. And while they still uh, and while they still disbelieved for joy, uh, they and were marveling. He said to them, "Have you anything to eat?" And they gave him a piece of fish, and he took and ate it before them. So it seems like they're having a very similar type conversation, albeit not. For, well, anyways, so. Where was it? Uh, why are you troubled? See my hands and my feet. So we've got seeing. And then he says, touch them. So this isn't just a Thomas. This is for everyone around. So I guess unless we're saying none of them touched him. Okay. Which well, seems wait. unreasonable. And but then he says, for a spirit. Him. Well, hang on. That's another question. Hang on. Uh, so let's see. This says his disciples. So, you know, that would get into was Mary truly one of the disciples or was she just, uh, you know, kind of hung around? Um but he said, okay, so whether or not this satisfies you, he addressed it and where I died, you see it. Um, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So no matter if someone verified that claim, he says it. So he says he has, so he yeah. makes the claim he has flesh and bones. Fair enough. As you see, I have. Fair enough. But he just, oh, that only took 49 minutes to get yeah. through. But, but fair enough, but women, but women can't touch him. Unless Mary was one of the ones there. Let's address that next. Uh, Dee, what were you saying? You were saying something, Dee, before I cut you off. Sorry. I was no, saying I think something. It, it wasn't me. Oh, Liz. Sorry, Liz. I was, just, was I was just saying that I find it interesting that, you know, the Bible even points out, like, that there were false claims that someone stole his body and took it away because that is what somebody would, would claim happened rather than admit, you know, to a resurrection. And I find it interesting that that was actually put in there. Because like, that's something that could really happen. So. You know, there is something else. I mean, goodness, Rab, you do bring the good, you do bring the thought-provoking questions. So, the part in John twenty seventeen, which is what four chapters before what we just read. I don't know what translation I'm reading, or this is ESV. Um, I don't know what other translations would say, 
but this one specifically says Jesus doesn't say don't touch him uh, to Mary. It says don't cling to me. So if we're if we're counting cling, like think of what you mean cling. And then does that mean like where his other disciples, he says, touch my hands and feet and side. Um, would you say by touching them, they were clinging? I wouldn't say that. So when you think of cling, does that does that mean something different than just like touch to you? So apparently, you know, Jesus says, do not cling to me for I have not ascended to my father. And why does like, you know, clinging, why is that different than just like touching a hand or a scar? That Don't know, but sense. that would be something that would, that would be something to think about. That would make more sense. And now this Mary, is this Mary the mom or Mary the... Uh... Magdalene. Okay. That would make more sense because as women, like to see someone come to life that you cared that much about, that the emotional response, because he's, he, and he's not going to be here long. So it's like, don't cry for me or cling to me or be emotionally attached to me in this moment because I haven't just been to my father. Like, I don't want you to worship me in this moment. You know what I'm saying? Because this is just the body. This is not the glorified presence of the most high. So that kind of makes sense compared to don't touch me. That just seems kind of rude. Like, I mean, I see him, I don't see him saying, saying it in that essence because when the, um, the woman with the blood issue touched, you know, his garment, he didn't have that same response. So I think we need to kind of consider it as not the touch, but more so the cling and an emotional sense where you worshiping a spirit and not the actual, you know, entity in itself. And then right before the part we just read, yeah, like reading the rest, um, kicking myself for not immediately doing this, but I, I guess it took me a while to get to my Bible. Um, so Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So, I mean, maybe there's more to it than just, ah, don't touch me. Ah, I can't be touched. Um, I mean, I'm going to say it has something to do with the cling. And also, yeah, like what, whoever just said that said that. Um, yeah, like go tell people. So being being fairly critical, Rab, would you say that makes more sense? Or well, no, cling is exact. Cling is synonymous with touch, and I don't know. Women are bad. So, wherever you can take that. Well, okay, no, no. So clinging is fine if you want to say like that. That actually has a more um, poetic context as well, right? Like this is it is not the time to cling to Christ on this on this earth. You're waiting for him to be up in heaven, and then you can cling to him. In some sense, that's telling everybody cling to Christ up in heaven, not cling to him on the ground. So poetically, it's totally fine to, to go with cling. Um, the issue I would next have is go tell them I'm ascending. Right? I am in the proper, I am in the, I am currently ascending. Go tell them. And then he starts showing up at places. So that feels like he ascended, came back and kept going. Uh, well, <clears throat> I want to say we could probably get an answer if we devote another hour to this. Um, oh, we're, we're good. But I can stop here. Nope, I'm good. It would definitely be the traditional understanding that, you know, he uh, hung out with them for 40 days, and then they all saw him take off up into heaven. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't immediately see any theological problems, I don't think, if he, like, you know, used it as a subway and went up and down and up and down and up and down. Um, there's definitely no evidence for that. Um, but if that happened, I don't think there's any problems there. And maybe if we spend well, another hour digging into this, we could find an answer. There is one problem that would make it 
the that would, the one problem would be if he ascended and then came back. That would be the second coming. Good point. See, you're a pretty good Bible scholar. You'd make a good Christian. We've got uh, Christians whenever you're ready. And you know, would, uh, would it would it be the second coming? So like, would it be a, a numerical second coming? Like technically, that's the second time. Therefore, you know, the end is now. Or would it be no, no? Second coming is not just like numerical. Second coming is like. You know, I, I can go, you know, up and back as much as I want. And by the way, you could say Jesus is like currently all around now because he's in everything, sustaining everything, because anything Jesus is not upholding and sustaining does not exist. Um, so so you could say, you know, Jesus is actually here or never left. So there's lots of ways you could nuance that. But if Jesus went up and back, would that really mean technically the second coming? Yes, he came back twice. Um, or is the second coming like, you know, in Revelation when it's described as like title, the second coming? Like, you know, he, this time he's up and back, he's up and back. But for well, the second coming, it's like this whole like era. And I'd say, yeah, that's a good point. That would be a problem. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is why the traditional understanding would be, yeah, hung out 40 days and everyone watched him go up into heaven. Yeah. I just say like the, just to end on this is that if you're the other interpretation you've had of second coming, I would have retelled that the final like the final coming of Christ just instead of the second one. So it's up and down, up and down, up and down, final. Fair enough. But I also don't think that premise is correct. <laughs> uh, y y <laughs> oh, I'm dying. Um, Yvette, what's up, Yvette? Yeah. Uh, I have, yes, I was going to say, um, can you hear me? Okay. Um, when Jesus, uh, sorry, when the scriptures say that we have been, um, uh, that we, every time we sin, we crucify Jesus on the cross. Uh, does it specifically mean like on the cross, like like 2000 years ago, Jesus on the cross got crucified um, by the sins that we commit, like past, present, future sins? Uh, what was the first part of that? Sorry, I was coughing and dying. I was, okay. <clears throat> so the Bible says that, I don't know where in scripture it says, that every time we sin, we crucify, we crucify Jesus. Um, we that we crucified him on the cross. I think Peter or one, two of the disciples told that to the to the Pharisees. Um, so I'm thinking um, that that every, every everyone in the world has because we all sin, fall short, glory fall short to the glory of God. So I'm thinking that every time we sin, every time like we steal, uh, kill, uh, destroy that we, cause, uh, crucif that we crucified Jesus on the cross, but it happened, of course, 2000 years ago on the cross, on the foot of the cross. Am I, is my understanding on par with that or no? Uh, uh, maybe in some way that's not going to be the easiest answer though. Like, first of all, I would want to reference and I'm, I'm done looking at Bible stuff for a while. That was, I felt like I was just back in Bible college um, with the, the Rab's question, but uh, I would say I'm not familiar with something like that. Um, the only thing I can think of is in, I think Hebrews where it talks about, you know, it, they're talking and saying like, you know, I think it's one of the ones where they say woe to, or maybe something like that, where they say, if you, if you basically, if you're following Christ and then, you know, you fall away or whatever, you can't come back to Christ because that would be like crucifying him all over again. And it goes on to say, you know, Jesus died once for everyone. So 
you're not like Christ isn't being re-crucified. Re if if what you're saying is what I think you're referring to, they're they're basically saying you would have to be crucifying him again, but you can't crucify him again. And that's also where it talks about you know, like you know, there's no more salvation, there's no more forgiveness for your sin, like it's done. Like how can you return? Uh, you know, how can you return again and crucify Christ a second time? You can't. Um, if that's what I'm thinking, I think it's around Hebrews 11, maybe. Um, so if you're if you don't think I'm thinking what you're thinking. I would I would need another reference, but also, you know, the, the kind of Christian trope is, you know, everyone's crucified Christ. So, right, when people want to pass blame on the people that actually physically murdered him on the cross and, you know, everything, um, in a way, we all crucified Christ. That's kind of the common Christian trope, um, meaning that, you know, whenever you whenever you sin, like he died for you uh, without him dying for you, you wouldn't be forgiven. So since you are a Christian, since you do follow Christ, then Yes, you could you could say you had a part in that crucifixion, but not like every single time you sin or do something like that, you're crucifying him all over again. Um, in that case, the Bible would explicitly say, no, he died one time for all. Yeah, that's my understanding. Like he he died one time, but um, he knew the sins that we would commit in the future. So he he got crucified so he took care of that by then. those sins. Yeah. yeah, he he got crucified by those sins that we committed. And also to to ask as a follow up question, is that how he took the sins of the world? Like when, because in the Bible it says, uh, he uh, and and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So I'm thinking, so while we were sinning, uh, that's how he took our sins that crucified him. But I'm not sure my understanding of that is is on par either. Uh, if I under, I, I want to say yes, but I, I want to make sure I'm sure what you're saying. Well, what um, I, yeah, that, that, so know, like, well, I mean, you would get a very different answer from Chris probably, <laughs> but right. whenever, you know, like Christ died while we were still sinners. So he knew we were sinners. Um, I'm just going to speak for myself. I'm going to, Chris isn't here, so I don't need to worry about him, <laughs> but I'd say, you know, this is why like non-Chris believes that, you know, Christ died for everyone and all you have to do, like, you know, your sin is paid for, like your debt is paid. You just have to repent and believe. And then he would call that something different. So I guess I, he is living in my head rent free. But yeah, so while we're sinners, because even if Christ knew that you're going to, you know, be one of his followers one day, you weren't until you were. So even then, you know, he, he already paid the price on the cross. So he's not going back to the cross to repay for your sins. He already knew um, you know, that you were going to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower one day. So, you know, at that time, you know, he paid for the sins of the world. So whoever believes. And then that's where we would get into like, you know, election for the Calvinists. And they'd say, well, he knew he was going to believe. So he died for their sins while they were sinners. So it was paid for when they believed versus, you know, other people would be like, no, he paid for everyone in the world. So whoever believes um, would be forgiven. And then say, oh, well, that's the election. See how theology muddles stuff up? Like between trying to like, trying to navigate between both of those views, the elect and non-elect, it's whosoever. Whether you want to say, you know, they were the ones plucked up from the sea or whatever and saved, or whether you want to say it's a wide net cast far and wide and everyone in the world's sins are like uh, positionally paid for. But if they don't like receive this, receive this and accept this and follow Christ, well, then they're still going to be dead in their sins spiritually.
Yeah, so I'm just imagining myself like every time I sin, um, he took it like, wow, you know, as a sinner, because I'm sinning, uh, you know, uh, he took my sin. He took that sin and got crucified by it. So I was like, wow, that's how much he loves us. So it's already been paid for. And all I ever have to do is believe. So because of of the atonement we we get to believe in him and receive you know the forgiveness of sin or or you know whatever like be become reborn that's how i'm seeing things wait you said every time you sin like you're knowingly sinning or are you talking about things that you don't know that you're sinning on i'm talking about like when um because we we all fall short from the glory of God in like um as a Christian I'm talking about as a Christian uh I you know fall whenever I make a mistake I fall for the temptations of the devil not purposely though um but I'm thinking why uh what were were you going to say by that I guess more so like we got to be very careful because like um, Nate has, it's so many theologies out here um, that we need to be very careful that we walk a thin line between willfully sinning and doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing compared to mistakes. Like there, mistakes mean you didn't know any better, you know, and that's oh. a little bit then. Oh. Right, right, right. Oh, I see what you're saying because... Um, yeah. There's so, a scripture that says there's no sacrifice left for those who sin on purpose or something like that. I'm saying it in my own words and not scripture. Uh, I'm exactly saying, but from what I understanding from that scripture, it says, you know, you have to have the fear of, of the Lord upon you because um, willful sin will will not lead you to um, be a, a, like, um, I guess. Um, saved by the because there would be no um sacrificial uh there's no more sacrifice for your sin there you go sin. but that's there what i was go. saying earlier yeah. and i said hebrews 11 i was wrong lou corrected me but the, i mean the context is going back thanks lou uh, is putting yourself back under the law so like people will willfully sin and this is not a license to sin that's not what i'm saying you know the bible says you know so should we use uh, should we abuse this grace and you know show how how good grace is by continuing to sin of course not so don't do that um don't willfully sin, but people will willfully sin. This is specifically saying the sacrifice of Christ was not good enough. So you have to follow the law like a Hebrew Israelite or something. And that's saying there's no more sacrifice for your sin. You can't, you can't crucify Jesus all over again. So, I mean, we willfully, Peter willfully sinned when he denied Christ three times. Do we not think Peter knew what he was doing was wrong? Of course he did, but he did it anyways. You know, we will know if road rage is bad and, you know, we like to cut someone out and flip them off. Um, that is a sin. Um, so we will willfully sin knowing it's bad and knowing we shouldn't do it. Um, but that doesn't mean that that person is not saved because of that. You should not do that. Don't do that. But um, if you do, there is forgiveness because we have a high priest, which is Jesus. Uh, but if you think that, you know, Jesus is not enough, his sacrifice is not enough, and you need the law to save you, uh, that's the context. And thanks, Lou, it was Hebrews 6, he says. Um, and that's, that's talking to the Pharisees and the people like who want to go back under the law. Um, for them, there is no more sacrifice for their sin. Uh, those people are done. Don't do that. And doesn't the verse also say that if he fully tasted 
the the Lord. In other words, sometimes we don't have a mature understanding of the way that we are, not only the way that we are to walk, but our posture with Christ. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. And um, so sometimes, like, in other words, we're supposed to, um, it, it uh, the church I was in before, it was a very legalistic church. And it got to a point because I had a very critical parenting childhood when I was a kid. My parents were very critical. So, and the Bible says we should examine our hearts. And it got to a point where I just felt like every single day, there's like a million faults. And I just, you know, and it became overwhelming. And there was not really an outlet in our church for, um, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. So it got to a point for me in my past where I said, I'm sick of marching because I felt like, you know, I was like stuffing things. And, um, but years later, (laughs) praise God, he drew me back to him and he said, listen, this is about dependence on me. This is about when you feel like that, you need to come to me and rant and rave and just tell me what you're feeling and be honest. Don't be phony. Don't be fake. And it was just a a very significant breakthrough because it has changed my posture toward the Lord where it's not me doing, if I get repentance in an area, it's not because I worked hard. It's because God said, here, take it. And work hard, and I'll help you. Lean on me, not on you. I, I would like to add, um, and Nate, I probably I don't think you took this really seriously, but we we also have to be aware that having feelings and emotions, and you know, it says be quick to anger, but it doesn't mean you can't be upset about stuff. You know, you know, be, I have a rage every once in a while, but I don't want to. Cons- I don't want to consider that sin. That's just stating the obvious that someone cut me off (laughs) but I say all that to say even our heavenly father flipped tables in the temple so to have feelings that are not perfect in everything I'm in just perfection of happiness and that's crazy that's not even that's not even how we we were given these feelings to feel and have emotions and understand the difference between good and evil and in order to um to enjoy good and happiness, we have to know what the opposite is. And if you're in that moment, it doesn't mean you're sinning because you feel a certain way. The feelings, the actions behind the feelings, the being able to not forgive. You can be mad at someone and eventually forgive them, but the the ability to not forgive at all is the sin, not the fact that you're upset at the moment. So. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm not talking about forgiveness, but you know the Bible says, "Be angry, but do not sin." So if you're angry, correct, like yeah. So if you're so angry, I can you're be like, enraged ah, so on the road, ang- Nate. <laughs> well, right, but you you miss the rest of it, right? Like if you're if you're angry, and you're like ah, you jerk, um, you jerk. Versus, versus if you're if you're like ah, and then start cussing them and flipping them off, and you know maybe like Wait, just you know, is going, that is 
is that? Listen, listen, listen. Well, okay. Can we? Well, hang on. Well, I don't want to get bogged down on the point. I don't want to get bogged down on the point. Let's go to the. Let's go to a, a higher level, right? You get. You get so angry. You pull someone over. You jump out and start insulting them. I think at that point we could say that's then. Don't do that, right? Don't insult people. So that would why that would be what I'm saying. So not not to not to quibble over terminology, but if you're angry and you just let it go and you're like maybe scream, maybe yell, maybe ah, I'm so angry at you, but you don't do anything that's worth that's sin worthy then that's fine. But if you, I get so angry, you cut them off, pull them out and start assaulting them. Yes, we can safely say that is anger that led to sin. Don't do that. <laughs> and if you do do that, you have forgiveness. You have an advocate with the father, but you should not do that. Does that make sense, Dee? I'm with you now. <laughs> um, are we ready for the next question? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, and I missed Gia. Oh, I just Gia feel like started. everybody just totally ignored what I said. No one commented on anything I said. No, I we appreciated it. it. I gave you a heart. I like what you said. Okay. It was amazing. Okay, okay. I, I just <laughs> you matter, Liz. <laughs> okay, thank you. Sorry. Well, I didn't. I didn't have my question. Oh, she got a call. Can I give out my question? Yeah. Okay. So. Oh yeah, you had it. Yeah. Yeah. So my question, and it's it's pretty simple, but I'm dealing with someone who is asking this and I just want to just hear everybody else's thought. Okay. So if we go to John um, 18 and it says first uh, John, not first John, but John chapter one, verse 18, no one has ever seen Elohim, the only brought forth son who is in the bosom of the father, he did declare. Now, this the beginning of this chapter is going through, you know, in the beginning and how the word becomes flesh. Now, in um, verse 18, is this referring to um, Jesus when they're saying no one has ever seen Elohim in this moment? Is this referring to Jesus or is this referring to, um, you know, Yahweh? Um, and if we're saying that this is referring to Yahweh, then how do we factor in um, the fact that Moses and Abraham and others have, and Job have seen um, the Most High in face-to-face? -face and and I'm, I mean, I know it could be in spirit form, but you know, when you're speaking to someone about how to explain that, uh, what would be your take on that? Uh, well, yeah, I'd, I mean, I would say Jesus is Yahweh, but I'd say clearly it can't be talking about Jesus because people have seen Jesus. I mean, there's no denying that. Uh, but this, com the commonly understanding is the Father. And then I've heard different people explain it different ways. Um, off the top of my head, because we, we talked about this, and I heard some really good, um, some really good takes on this, and they were different. Um, I'm not going to remember them all, but it was an interesting discussion. But it was it was saying something like, you know, when when um, like Moses or Job, like the whirlwind of fire or, or the burning bush, um, it was like these these kind of like um, theophany is not the right word. That's some other thing that sounds similar. But that was you know they didn't actually see the Father; they saw a manifestation of the Father or of the presence of God. And um, I, I like even it wasn't. Was it Moses or Elijah? Like when the still small voice passed and, uh, you know, it, you know, like kind of, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? It says something like he was able to hear, hear God or see God as he passed or see like, you know, the, the train of, of the father or something as he passed by. So I, I've heard it explained 
like even these where it's very much the presence and a manifestation of God, whether it's a burning bush or a whirlwind or like the train as he passes by or something that's still not, you know, seen the father like face to face. Like, you know, you'd have a bunch of dead people. Um, isn't there something that says no one can be like in the presence of God like that and live? Um, anyway, so that's how I've heard it explained. Um, if you wanted to give me a while to like research it, I could probably find the references or figure out the people who actually said that and asked them for references. But that's off the top of my head. Didn't that's that actually, a discussion I remember having. That was actually my thought process is that it was the present. It was through a, might've been an angel, through a bush, through the, just not the actual physical form. Um, Cause even when he did show up to Abraham in physical form, he came in three. Um when they were about to go, you know, with the Sodom and Gomorrah situation. So, um, that was yeah. Angels. And then I guess the face to face would be face to face. He saw the presence, not necessarily the actual physical form. And I mean, as far as physical hide... form, well, the Bible says, you know, God is spirit. Uh, go ahead, Liz. Didn't he hide Moses in the cleft of a rock so that he wouldn't see glory, God's glory in the face? Because it would have been, it could have. Yeah, that's what up. I was talking about. Liz, what verse is that? Uh, uh, I don't have my Bible in front of me. <laughs> Sorry. Let me it had it. to be in Genesis somewhere, right? Or Exodus, because it was it was Moses. Moses, Moses. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. I have to make a phone call. I'm just looking this up. I guess that would make sense because we're in each other's presence now and I can't see none of y'all. I only see <laughs> versions of PTRs that represent who you guys are. So, I mean, I, that makes complete sense. I just have someone who always asks me the most, I don't want to call them ridiculous because I feel like if they're that ridiculous, you should have an answer for it. But it, it's the most asinine questions and, um, you know, a lot of times they don't read the particular scriptures before, after, in the middle to even understand what they're asking. So this particular one, um, I just want to make sure I had the right answer. Okay, Exodus, uh, this is Exodus. I, I hear you, D. Uh, Exodus 33, 18. Uh, let's see. Uh, let me back up a little bit. Like you said, read the verses before and after. <laughs> um if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up. What the verse said Moses, uh, Exodus 33, 18. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all good, all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So he's specifically saying you can't see, but you can see, you know, glory, whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. Pardon me. Um, so it's like the thorn in Paul's side. I'm not Paul, just a joke. Um, anyway, so he specifically says, you can't see my face, but he'll show you his glory. So glory, or my goodness. Goodness can be debated, but goodness cannot be his his presence, or his, uh, you know, appearance, because he specifically says, you cannot see my face or you'll die. You cannot see me and live. So any of him, not his face, not his back, not his arm. I mean, if spirits have arms, you know, you can't see any part of God and live of the Father. Um, so yeah, he specifically says that, but Moses saw his goodness, uh, behold, there's a place you can stand. So he put him in the rock 
and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover uh, you with my hand until I have passed. Uh, so I guess he does have a hand. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Okay. So I guess we answered our own questions in just reading the book. So you just can't see his face is what it is. You can be in his presence. You can see his hand. You can see his form, but you can't see his face. And I'm sure I would love to read a commentary about this because it says both things. So, I mean, this is where, you know, I could just see someone picking this apart. And then my response will be, you know, the bag. Like, oh, look at the contradiction. It says, you can't see me, but then it says, you can't see my face. And they're like, okay, are these people so dumb they didn't know what they were writing in the span of four verses? Of course not. It's a bigger meaning. So, um, but he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me. So in the same sentence, he says both things. So um, is it they don't know what they're possibly writing or they're misunderstanding it? It's you know, that one. You know what? So, Maybe when he's saying my hand, it's like, you know, the things he does to make things happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I have a hand in this or this, you know, I know God had a hand in that to make things happen. And maybe when he sees my back, it's like, you know, in retrospect, you're like, I knew God was there because I could have got hit by it a bus or a plane or a train or whatever. Maybe, I don't know if you could get hit by a, a plane, but maybe it's in the essence of that on a spiritual form, because I know you guys also said that he's in spirit. And I know that has to be in the Bible somewhere. So maybe it's to the essence of faith in his full, the face is like his full glory. And you're not going to be able to experience that. You'll be able to just experience moments of me in certain times. Oh, and who, yeah, there's all, all kinds of ways you can, you know, you can make it work. Like, you know, by covering, by covering him with his hand, does that mean uh, Moses just staring at a hand? Or does that mean, you know, if he was in the cleft of a rock and God covered him with an actual physical hand of some sort, like he still couldn't see his hand because it was very dark. Like, I, you know, if you walk into a cave and there's a cave wall covering your sight, well, you may not even see the cave wall because it's very, very dark. So, I mean, there's all, all kinds of, you know, ways you could work that. But the larger understanding is Moses can't see his face and live, and Moses lived, so Moses did not see his face. You know, I, um, have, a, uh, I have a pretty funny story about this verse as you guys are going through it. Uh, <clears throat> we, uh, when me and my wife were kind of like church hopping, kind of like trying to find our church when we, when we were living in Nashville, we went to a church called Zeal, and uh, they were doing scripture, they were doing a sermon on this uh you know, this uh, excerpt from Exodus um, about, you know, how Moses can't actually see God and that he'll see him when he passes by. Um, and this church is pretty hip, pretty new, right? And the pastor's going through and and uh, he makes a reference about, I wonder what God's glute, glutes look like. I bet that, I bet he had a big, you know, trunk. And I was like, all right. Me and my wife stood up and we're like, all right, we got to leave. We're like, we can't sexualize God here. But uh, just a funny little story. So well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I really came up because I saw your PTR, Nate, and I was uh, like, I saw that yesterday um, running through social media that I guess uh, Link is now gay. Is that is is this what you're referring to? Uh, no, not the one I saw. This is uh, talking. The the meme was about um, in I guess they made Link where he's now like kneeling. It's supposed to be one of those settings where he's like kneeling down before like you know. A, a king or a statue, like one of those like noble, like, oh, I'm prepared to be knighted, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, 
uh, showing submission to authority. Well, the guy he's kneeling down to is a picture is a depiction of Jesus on the cross. Um, so people were like losing. I, I wish I could show you the larger meme, but so it has one. Uh, it has Link kneeling down to Jesus at the cross, and then the um, the picture next to this one has a guy like you know one of those like um, kind of like atheist crying guys with tears down their face and looks all like you know weird. Um, and it's like, no, Link is not a Christian. And then the response is <laughs> this guy being like, yes, he is. Like, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, yeah. I was, I guess it's been kind of because the news, uh, what the news game just came out. And so people are coming out and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, Link is, I guess people are now thinking that Link is gay. But then people are like, just so everyone knows, the author of Zelda has come out saying that like, Link is like the perfect depiction of a, like a, a warrior for Christ. Like that, that was his, like his way of depicting it was, it's, you know, video game stuff, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Gia, what's up? You've been here for a while. Did you have any uh, thing on your mind? Uh, yes, I do. So, um, I was just having a conversation with somebody. We were talking about, um, if a Christian were to kill themselves pretty dark but yeah um so I personally think that they would still go to heaven I don't think that killing yourself is the unforgivable sin but um this person was just like well they've died in their sins so they're gonna go straight to hell and I guess I just wanted to get you guys perspective because it's like we there are such things as unknown sins you know so will that send us to hell (laughs) if you're truly a believer like I just I just can't reconcile that idea with myself. Well, this is fun. Uh, depends who you ask. So in, in Catholicism, yeah, this is like a mortal sin, like straight to hell or purgatory or whatever. People got to say lots of prayers and pay lots of money to get you out of it. Um, you can tell what I think about that. Um, but then in Protestant, uh, kind of like Protestants, there will be a difference between the kind of, you know, once saved, always saved people who will say, if you're truly a child of God, you know, that suicide, you know, because people on the other side would say, well, you know, you need to keep short accounts with God, meaning every time you sin or something like that, you know, you need to pray and ask forgiveness as if you're not already forgiven. Um, Even though, you know, Jesus died once and you're forgiven of everything. So you're alive in Christ, a new creation. um, So, so you've been forgiven and there's no need to necessarily ask forgiveness every single time you sin because you're asking forgiveness for something that's already been forgiven. Um, So it's not like Christ died for all your sins up to this point. And then if you sin five minutes later, well, uh, now you got to ask Christ for that or you're not forgiven. So that's kind of the two understandings is you can't, uh, if you kill yourself, it's straight to hell because that's a sin. And because you're dead, you can't now ask forgiveness of that sin because you died before you could ask forgiveness. Um, And the other side, which, you know, is kind of like on the mercy of God, like Jesus doesn't need you in, in correct timeline to sin, then ask forgiveness. Jesus has already forgiven you of everything you're going to do. So on one side, it's like, well, of course, even if you believe that, you should still, you know, I would still be like, oh, forgive me for that, Lord, even though I believe I'm already forgiven. Why not? Um, on the other side, if you kill yourself and, you know, Jesus has already forgiven you, well, that's just one more sin. It's not a good sin. You should not kill yourself. Look at the story of Elijah, how he prayed for God to kill him, and God didn't. He sent an angel to comfort him and, you know, give him some food and bake him a cake. But even Elijah, I believe, knew it was wrong and not his life to take into his own hands to kill himself. So he didn't. 
so we can draw from the Bible. But nonetheless, if someone, for whatever reason, does kill themselves, um, yeah, that understanding would be they've already been forgiven of that. Jesus already knew what they were going to do, and he died for them, so they will be in heaven. The last advice I have is, uh, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then err on the side of caution. So, you know, if don't kill yourself. <laughs> but if you do, then... God is gracious. Um, so, yeah. Oh, no, that's part of my testimony. I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to go back to that place. I'm not, but it's like... Um, so I agree. I agree with um, what you... what you said about how... You know, we obviously shouldn't commit such things. Um, and, you know, God has... Jesus has paid the price... But, um, oh gosh, what was I going to say? I don't know why I get so nervous, but <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, my my opinion is that if that was the case, wouldn't everyone go to hell then? Because like I said before, unknown sins that someone may not have thought about to repent of and they die in their sin. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's just what can, sure. can I throw, uh, yeah. throw this out yeah. there so that's a good question because when I look at Matthew um, chapter 10 verses 24 and um, it says I'm sorry was it 24 no it's not 24 but it says 22 and you shall be hated uh, by all my name's sake, but he who shall have endured to the end shall be saved. Um, I, And then there's other verses about just enduring to the end, but he who shall endure to the end shall be saved. I, It's not even about repenting all the time because our Heavenly Father does know our heart, but it is also about knowing his heart and knowing that we're fighting against these principalities and all of them come in a form of demonic spirits and we cannot succumb to them. And it's just, we just got to be tougher as Christians. And I don't want to judge anybody, but, and I know this is not about you, Gia, but just to tell others, like we just have to be tougher because given like when you, and, and this is all my opinion and maybe somebody can walk me through this, but when you give up on life, in essence, in my opinion, from my walk of just knowing how he has shown up and the fruits in my life, that means I've given up on him. So, you know, and again, this is only my opinion, but in essence, it's, I'm not enduring to the end. And the things that we deal with today are not going to be the same problems that we deal with a few years from now, unless we're dealing with disease. And even in that essence, it's, you know, everything in the Bible gives us the strength and ability for healing. Maybe if it's not physical healing, it's spiritual healing. It's, we all as believers have had that moment where we knew who he was in our life. So it's like in that moment, if you gave up on him at the end, 
you know, is it going to be one of those moments when Jesus said, get back because I don't know you? Like, these are the things that go through my head. So does anybody have answers for that? If we could just take it a little bit deeper. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd first want to dig into, welcome, Steph. We're talking about suicide. If you oh, yourself, you still go to heaven. Um, you could have come in on a much, well, anyways. Yeah, yeah. so I would first, you know, want to really dig into the uh, he who endures to the end. But barring that, I'd say, I, I mean, I, there is value to what you say. Like, I appreciate what you said, and I generally agree. But I can't, you know, I mean, I couldn't rightly pass judgment on everyone that's ever killed themselves because we have no idea, right? Like, maybe they took some bad medicine. Maybe they were, like, having a brain chemical reaction. Uh, maybe they, like, legitimately were just so frenzied or nuts um, that they didn't know which way was up. So I couldn't, you know, pronounce that same judge, not that you're judging, but I couldn't pronounce that same decree or whatever on everyone for all time that's killed themselves. Because, um, you know, if they're not in the right state of mind, like, I, I just couldn't say that. I'm not going to be the judge of that person. But if they're alive and here, I would definitely tell them what you said, because um, I think there's value in it. Um, but yeah, uh, and then, you know, he who endures till the end, well, the end of what exactly? Until you die, um, can you can you make your end come prematurely, even though you shouldn't? Um, is that a sin? Are you forgiven? Um, and then, oh gosh, there's one more thing I want to say. Oh, um, that you talked about how get away from me. Um, you know, I never knew you. Uh, I mean, in the context of that, you know, I, I, I do know off the top of my head, it's people who are doing things in the name of Jesus, and their 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 hearts are not with him. So it's people who are like using the name of Jesus, like people who are going around casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and it was working, but they weren't disciples, they weren't followers, they didn't believe in Jesus, they just knew that his name had power and it worked. So it's people that, like that, people who had uh, appealed to like works they've done, um, you know, works that they've done in his name, like their good deeds, stuff like that. And he says, get away, you know, workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Um, and, you know, for this situation, it would be presumably someone who is a Christian who believes in Jesus and has the power to save them and all this other stuff for eternal life. But for whatever reason, they don't get that they're, uh, I don't know, he can or is willing to help now, or they're not even thinking about that. They're just thinking they got to end some bad thing. Um, I wouldn't put them in the same category as the get away from me, I never knew you, um, unless they're, you know, trying to do stuff not appealing to the Jesus for salvation. But if they're like, no, I appeal to Jesus for my eternal security. Um, but for whatever reason, they have to off themselves now. Um, that, that would be a different category. You have thoughts on that real quick, Dee, before other people jump in? No, like I uh, definitely receive that. I I get what you're saying about the doing things in um, his name and not having the heart of Christ. So I do definitely get what you mean by that. And in regards to those who are not, you know, they're so overtaken by what's going on in their mind, um, like those examples that you gave. So I do I do understand that because at the end of the day, we don't have a heaven to put someone in or a hell to take them out of. So I get that. It's, you know, I guess mine was more so for not, maybe not that deep of people, but just the ones that are in mid fight, <laughs> you know, you know, for us to, you know, for those people. But yes, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think yeah. Yeah. And we would all agree. Don't kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know, I was you going to say like, don't, I mean, it doesn't mean like if you want to go to heaven, I, I don't think Nate is saying kill yourself. <laughs> no, it's commit suicide. No, because that's willful sin. And and like we were talking about earlier, there's no 
sacrifice left for those who purposely sin. I mean, you can't you can't do that. You can't say, okay, I'm I'm saved. I'm gonna kill myself because I want to go to heaven in my life soon. That's it. Yay! You know, no. <laughs> uh, most suicides are because due to mental illness. I mean, God is not gonna say no. You can't come into heaven, um, even though you killed yourself by the hand of Satan, because like that's mental illness. You know, there's spirits that are um, telling, like convincing. They, they, you know, they're they're receptive to the to the spiritual world and they 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 understand that it they don't understand that it has nothing to do with them it's satan using their mental illness against them to kill themselves so god is gonna right no god is well, gonna be uh, open uh, uh well you've fi uh, finish finish real quick and then i, I definitely want to say something and that sounds like septus too but go ahead and finish what yeah saying but so can... yeah, there and there are times you know that has nothing to do with mental illness Maybe they're going through some crisis, but uh, and and you know they they didn't think about, they didn't think much about it. They just wanted to end the pain, and so they kill themselves real quick. And but you know those are there. I mean, there's it depends on the situation. Like I said, you know, willful sin. There's those that are like they thought about it, they knew better, but they they still decided to to kill themselves either way and so that's a willful sin because it's like they had the time they thought about it they took time to uh, measure the consequences you know the pros and cons and yeah so that's just my opinion but uh because uh because going back to what i was said you know there there's no sacrifice left for those who are willfully sinning well uh, that's, that's all well, i have to say well, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about before Steph jumps in. Um, but yeah, the willful sin, remember, the context was people who don't think Christ is enough. They're subjecting themselves back underneath the law. That was the willful sin. Um, willful sin, we would all go to hell. Every one of us would be from hell into hell forever if willful sin kept us out. We all willfully sin. We shouldn't. We don't want to do that. That's not our goal. Do not willfully sin. But if, if willful sin uh, could not be forgiven— it's not like all Christians who sin are like, oops, had no idea what I was doing was sin. We would be a liar, and that right there would be more willful sin. So we willfully sin all the time. We shouldn't. Don't do that. But when we do, when we know we shouldn't tell a lie to save our skin, uh, and we do, that's willful sin. When Peter denied Jesus three times, that's willful sin. That's like extra willful sin. So that's not what that means. It's specifically saying like, no, no, the, the, the people who were saying Christ is not enough you have to go back under the law. That's their willful sin. And it's essentially blasphemy because they're saying, you know, we reject you and we're putting ourselves back under the law because you can't save us. The law can save us. Um, anyways, that was the context. It's Hebrews 6 and 9. Uh, Steph. Uh, I'm sorry. Give me just a second. Uh, okay. If I could uh, interject something real quick. If, if, sorry. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, real so the context I'm assuming of the conversation because I did just come in at the tail end of it was about someone, what, killing themselves? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, the biblical example I'd like to bring up for that and then ask the person who said that is a willful sin, period, no matter what, basically is uh, what about uh, what about Samson? Samson did that, you know, killed himself as he as he killed all the leaders of the Philistines as he was tied up to the columns, pulled the whole building down on himself. He knew what he was doing. He calculated the, you know, 
I mean, he had time at least. So that's kind of an interesting, you know, thought that you have to work through. Are we condemning Samson? If we're saying that too, you know what I mean? I'm I'm just saying. Didn't he get permission? Like, didn't he have a conversation with him and his, with everything that he'd done prior to, it was his sacrifice to um, our Heavenly Father? So I think that might be a little bit right. different. Or down that the, track, you can go into like, did Jesus kill himself? Oh, because that's he an even better one. Yeah. yeah. Right. But that's more so of a sacrifice that was already um, confirmed through the Most High. I think Nate's uh, example of Elijah was kind of a good one. Um, but if we, I know we are not under the law, we are under grace, but the Mosaic law is still a guideline for you know, what can and cannot be done because you can't be an adulterer because that's still a sin, but like, do not kill. And that applies to yourself as well. So, you know, forgiveness is key. And like, you know, what we were saying earlier, if you do kill yourself, like, is there a time for you to say actual forgiveness? So maybe that's why the Catholic church says it's the unforgivable sin because you don't have time, but it's a, it's, it's be, it's, it's, it is what it is, right? Like it's, you're killing yourself. And in a sense of not, and when I say no one's in their right mind who kills himself, like nobody can honestly be in their right mind. Um, however, there, there are people who justly know right from wrong, just like, when you're on trial for murder, you in that moment, there are people who know right from wrong and there are people who do not. And if we just make it as on the most natural level, you can be judged in a court of law being, you know, knowing right from wrong in that moment. I think that we get these laws from the biblical sense, you know, from the beginning. So it's really a complete difference to sacrifice yourself because even the, even in the Bible, it says, you know, to sacrifice for is the best gift for a friend or whatever that, you know what I'm saying? So I think that might be a little bit different than actually killing yourself for the purpose of you can't take it anymore. Okay. So, um, to, first of all, if anyone in this room, just as I know that this was probably brought up as like a, my friend has this problem, but if anyone in this room is struggling with suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts, this is not that leave now. This is not the conversation for you. There are many other, uh, you know, things that you can do uh, to seek out help and prevent that. Okay. So that, that would be my first thing. This is, this is not the conversation for you. Uh, hit me up later. <laughs> um, second of all, this, okay, there are so many different ways that someone arrives at suicide, but clinically, the most common one is that it's a ruminative disorder, right? So ruminative disorders are where your brain gets stuck on something and starts repeating that over and over and over and over and over to the point where you begin to feel if you don't receive proper treatment and counseling for it, you begin to um, believe 
the thoughts that your brain is involuntarily producing to get you to that point and it becomes reinforced. So that's, I'm not saying that's the thing for everybody. Like Nate gave other examples of maybe something that's medication induced, right? But there's, there really isn't a situation where somebody loses their mind and offs themselves, right? This is like a, this is a part of a ruminative disorder. Okay. And there are a bunch of different classifications of that. So this conversation becomes incredibly nuanced because to say like, we cannot say at all whether this is willful, willful sin or not. It actually, the way that ruminative disorders work is very much like the way heroin addiction works. And so we've had this conversation before in this room, but just to kind of like sum it up, you engage in something once or twice or a couple of times. In this case, you're engaging in indulging. It's a compulsion. You're engaging in indulging a dangerous or, or like, I shouldn't say dangerous, an unhelpful thought, maybe something like I'm worthless or my family would be better off without me. Then you start to do that. And so what your brain does is thinks, okay, this is an important thought and it's something that I need to address and fix. And it begins to latch onto that. And over and over and over, it starts playing in your head like a record that you can't control. So at a certain point without treatment, rumination becomes like an addiction. So we cannot in any way, shape or form say whether or not this is willful sin in the same way that we can't say if someone dies of an overdose. Like we can say there was a sin somewhere in there, um, but it wasn't like at a point, a compulsion is is by definition uncontrollable. You need to minimize the compulsion. You don't control the compulsion, right? So anyway, all that to say, you can fully recover from this, um, but I don't think that we can sit here and say, like, we need a mental health professional <laughs> to, to, like, I guess my point is, if somebody is sitting here listening to this who's struggling with this, this conversation is going to give them all the wrong ideas about what they're struggling with. That's my two cents. Uh, serendipity welcome would you like to uh, weigh in um good morning yeah i'll be honest with you i i agree with stuff i very much appreciate you you know giving the admonition to anyone in the room that this probably is not the conversation for you to have um and i also agree that this is um it, it goes beyond just just a matter of fact of making a willful choice. You know, people that uh, struggle with suicidal ideation struggle for a plethora of reasons. Um, my little girl's nanny, her husband, they had eight children ranging from 13 months to 10 years old. And uh, when they married, he was struggling with a porn addiction. Um, they prayed over their marriage. They were very faithful in church. Um, you know, four years into their marriage and four children later, uh, he confessed to her that he had had an affair and, um, they managed to work through it, went on to have four more children and 10 years or six years after the first affair, he stepped out again and he was, uh, he confessed immediately to her again. And, um, but he, he was so overcome with just his own conviction on that. He chose to commit suicide and left her to raise those eight children on her own. She homeschooled them and put them through college and, um, you know, leaned on the promise of God being the defender of the widow and the father to the fatherless. And she's got a really amazing ministry now that she, she uses to help other widows and um, women raising fatherless children. <clears throat> but, uh, 
you know, we, we just, we don't ever know why somebody is going through, um, those things. And I firmly believe that, you know, if, if you're standing on the promise of salvation, you have to believe that God died for your sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Okay. Well, now I'm going to address what's going on in the chat. Uh, well said, sir. Oh, what's going on in chat? Um, so uh, she's on the phone. So I'm going to hold back until she can defend herself. <clears throat> it's like the typical argument, mental illness is demonic. Um, so we know, right, that demonic oppression exists. There are nuances to this that I don't fully understand. This is my husband's realm. <laughs> he enjoys like, you know, going into this like spiritual warfare theology. He likes that. I don't. It scares the heck out of me. Um, but mental illness is not like having de clinical depression, anxiety, OCD, like the three most common ruminative disorders are not demonic. Okay. Do not let anyone in the church out of the church or otherwise tell you that. And when she gets off the phone, I'm sure that we'll have it out. Um, but that I will die on this hill. This is a hill I will die on all You're day You're right. Long. Seth. I, well, and I hope you understood that. I, I didn't mean that way. I mean, like, like the demons, evil spirits outside of you, you know, use your mental illness against you. Like, cause Satan's always talking, whether you have mental illness or not, they're always talking to you. I mean, it doesn't mean they're in you and like you have a mental illness. I'm just like, I hope you understood me. Um, but yes, I agree with everything you're saying. Well, I mean, a hill I would die on is one size does not fit all. Right. So when we try to say like, you know, like, uh, peace be upon him, the former guy that, uh, you know, is in self-imposed exile. I didn't do it, but he did, you know, from, from that conversation we had. Um, you know, he was saying that, you know, there is no mental illness. Just tell yourself it doesn't exist. And, you know, we saw the fallout. Um, and then there's the other people, well, I guess you, who would be like, um, no demons at all. Um, I, I don't know. I would die on the hill of it's not one size fits all. So, you know, you don't want to say this in a practical clinical setting. But, you know, as someone who believes, you know, in the spiritual world, demony stuff, to say that, you know, no, no thoughts of suicide, no, quote, mental illness, none of it has to do with the spiritual aspect, I, I would die on the hill and you, never say never. It very well may not. It very well may. Um, but for practical clinical stuff, um, for all intents and purposes, you're not going to, you're not, there's not a prescription for demons. Um, you know, go to a church and I don't know, get someone to pray for you. But you're not going to yeah. go to a pharmacy and be like, I'd like my demon medication. So um, I get that. But it very well could be spiritual warfare. And I almost hate to say that because just as much as I do, someone will think one size fits all and think, okay, now I need to go to a church and anyone that believes in spiritual warfare, I'm going to get their advice, which would be a horrible thing because while there could be an element of like demonic spiritual warfare type stuff, that doesn't mean that, you know, you could find someone that's like, you know, doing that like in the most unbiblical, incorrect way um, versus, you know, I, I don't know, someone who would do it a, a biblical way you get what i'm saying so it's like yeah. just because someone says there could be spiritual warfare there could be demonic influence somehow some way um that doesn't mean every person is going to address that biblically um yeah there, there is a lot to that um my my hill to die on stuff would be never say never and i guess we know your hill to die on <laughs> Can I, well so i have a question about that so i i think that that's interesting and i okay so I want to ask a question to the room, but then I also want a chance to respond based on what the consensus is. So okay. can demons control our thoughts? Yeah. Can I? Okay. So that's, that's, that's actually kind of, okay. Um, 
I just, I just, is it okay if I just, I just add to the, to, to what you, because that, that actually goes along with what you were saying. Um, so I am very close to someone with a schizoaffective disorder and, um, I've also been getting involved in some, um, what is the term you use, Nate? Um, the theology, uh, the, the, uh, spirit or stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been exploring that as well. And, um, he's also not a believer. So, and he also has a lot of ruminations. Like I know all about these ruminations. They are very difficult to control and actually almost impossible to control for him. And, you know, he does take medication. So a couple of years ago, someone said to me um, that schizophrenia was a form of like demon possession. And I repeated that to him and it really traumatized him. And um, he repeated it back to me several times after that. Um, so recently since getting involved in this spiritual warfare and also kind of thinking and, and praying about it, there are, it's my understanding that there is a spiritual world and there are spirits of all kinds that everyone has exposure to at one point or another and that can, um, you know, um, seducing spirits. Um, so that being said, it, if it can happen to anyone, then that doesn't limit it to someone who struggles with schizoaffective or schizophrenia. So therefore the stigma, it, it's kind of like all the conspiracy theories with the world. Okay. You know, you've got these people that go around, oh, it's the new world order in there, and we've got to fight this conspiracy that's going on, and this conspiracy, and this conspiracy. Well, if you're really a Christian and a believer, you're going to know and believe that there's going to be conspiracies until the world ends, because that's how the world powers operate. So therefore, fighting a conspiracy, I mean, it's good for the world, but it's fruitless, really, because there'll be more. So... In, in that, I mean, I'll tell you that in my first, when I first started out in my faith and I was studying uh, all the healings that Jesus did, and it was talking about people who had this illness and that illness, and they came to him and he said, sin no more. And I went to my church leaders and I said, well, how does this, how do these handicaps and illnesses connect with sin? And their response was, this is what people back then believed. And that really shaped my belief system for years. But there's no biblical evidence that that is the truth either. It could be, there could be elements of it that are true. The problem is it creates a stigma. And so then, you know, like, like Paul talks about the thorn in his side for instance, that he had, and he kept praying for God to take it away. How do we know that wasn't a mental illness? How do we know that wasn't ruminating thoughts? We don't know. The point is, it's not a cure-all. It's a, okay, let's, I don't know, am I making any sense? 
Um, I think so, but if I can maybe speak to you and also Steph um, at the same time. So, uh, let's see, to Steph's question first, about can demons control our thoughts? I'd say cannot control, no. But I'd say, you know, like we're told there's a spiritual force and they have significant power to influence, to deceive. Like, you know, Ephesians 6.12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And like, you know, it says the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Like, he's not physically walking around with a battle axe. So, I mean, what does that mean? Like, you know, he's spiritually, like, you know, holding some significant sway. Does that mean he can, he can, I mean, we're told we can be tempted. We're just told, you know, don't say God is tempting you. God doesn't, God can't be tempted and God doesn't tempt. So, um, you know, demons, the devil, like our own minds, you know, there's plenty of stuff temptations can come from. So I think there's plenty of biblical evidence that would suggest, you know, demons, the devil, demonic forces, um, can tempt. Does that mean they control your thoughts? Well, no, no one can control you. Um, but I, I think they could certainly plant seeds of doubt. Like, is that in your mind? Is that in your thought? Is that putting things in your path somehow? I don't know, but influence. Yes. So, I mean, someone who's like more susceptible to that to someone else, like if there's someone susceptible to alcohol, I don't know, maybe they just find themselves with like, you know, in an, an environment that's conducive to that or being tempted by that someone who's some, uh, you know, susceptible to like, you know, or suffering from mental illness. Maybe they have an extra burden to bear. Um, so it's not just their own mental illness. Maybe there's some influence from some other source. Um, I think that's consistent with the Bible, but again, to say it's definitely that I don't think we can say that either. Yeah. Like it could be just because like, like in John nine, when Jesus says, you know, or when the disciples say who sinned this man or his parents, that he's born blind. And right. Jesus is just like, no, it's just because now watch the power of God. And he heals them. So it's right. it's not definitely demons. It's not definitely not demons. Um, it could be a mix and match combo of all of the above. Okay. So taking that, it is, um, I'm still going to die on, in most cases, it is not demons. Now, I know that there are things that are possible. But if we're saying that demons cannot control your thoughts, then what we have is something that is not. So we can have things that influence us, right? Like if you get, I forget which one it is. Like there's the type of diabetes where, you know, you have too much sugar and then when you're older, you develop it. And then there's the type that you're born with, right? I forget which one is which, but it's like, I guess you could be influenced. What type two is the one that you can, if you eat the wrong way, you can get, you can develop. Okay. So we can say maybe like you are influenced by, uh, by some spiritual warfare of some element to, you know, fall to this temptation and then you indulge in it. And now you develop this illness, right? That's the closest we can come. It's the same thing, um, where mental illness is a habit of the way you think in some cases and in others, but either way you have a genetic pre like you have a biological predisposition towards it. And it's more like type one diabetes. Like you, we would have to say that people who have diabetes are demon possessed. So what I'm trying to correct in this conversation is the idea that people choose mental illness or the idea that people, um, you know, that it's something that they could step out of if they wanted to. It, it's, it's, it functions the same way diabetes functions, right? I can agree with that. So, yeah. So we would have to throw a blanket on anything that's wrong with the human body and uh, like allow for demon possession to be the cause of any of that 
cancer, diabetes, epilepsy, like, you know, and we have these things in the Bible that we can look to and say, there was this man who was epileptic. It was because of demons and he was healed. Right. So does that now we're getting into the talk about cessationism by choice? Well, hold on. So now we're getting into a conversation about cessationism if we go that route. So we could do that another time. But my point is we would have to, if we are saying that anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, any of these things are demonic oppression, then you would have to be consistent and say, well, then so is cancer because they function the same way. I don't, that, well, I don't... Uh, can, can I get in here real quick? Um, so, so first step, I will fund your late night infomercial for your cure for demonic diabetes. So thank you. you yes, it's in the works. Diabetes. <laughs> Second, uh, Nate, I thought your answer was just wonderful in terms of saying that, like, there's demonic influence, not control, right? So I, I think you just completely nailed that. And on the mental health issue, it's so case by case. Like, I think it is dangerous to try to come up with any sweeping solutions there or general principles. I think it's completely a case by case basis on what's influencing any individual. And it's very dangerous to treat it any other way. But wait, hold on. It's not. We, we have a DSM, right? The DSM so, changes all the time. Oh, my gosh. It does. Okay. We have... I'm sorry. It changes like any other medical textbook. Every uh, Steph, I wasn't talking about the no, diagnosis. I'm talking no, about no. what influ- what's influencing idea, someone. Right. So this is the problem that I keep identifying in this conversation. Mental illness functions the same way that any other medical diagnosis does. Okay. Diabetes follows a certain pattern. We see initial symptoms, then we see manifestations, then we have treatments, then we see results. Mental health works exactly the same way. We see symptoms, we see initial symptoms, we get treatments, we see results. Like you, there is no like, and this is the misconception that people have about disorders. They think it's like, it's in your brain. So it can be this magic fantasy thing that like some people have it this way. And some people, no, there, there's a DSM for a reason. It's because these, these things follow patterns. Well, I mean, there is the, the line between feeling depressed and being depressed is not always clear. Do you disagree with that? Uh, so if you, no, we have metrics for this stuff. I think- okay. So, so, so then walk me through what is the line? So if someone feels depressed for three days, does that mean they are depressed? They're not able to get over it on day four. That never happens. I did. Well, if, so if it's-, it's that clear, then there should be a line. So there is. So if you've ever had a baby, you have had the Edinburgh survey, right? Which is where they screen for clinical postpartum depression. We have screenings for these things because they are following recognizable trajectories, right? So if you have a woman who's a new mother who has been in a depressed state for 14 days, okay, maybe the cutoff is somewhere like in the studies, they say, oh, it's 30 to 45 days. So let's screen them at 14, right? Just to make sure that we get treatment in time. I don't know. But these are like, this is what I'm saying. There are predictable medical trajectories that these follow. So if you've ever had a baby and you've taken an Edinburgh survey, they score you to say how close or how much risk do we have for this woman having depression. And then once they see the results of that survey, so they do it at your your two, your three-day postpartum appointment, and then they do it at your two-week, and then they do it at your uh, six-week. Like th- These things are predictable. That's what I'm saying. This isn't like a world of mental health is not a world of like 
oh my gosh, demons flying around and this person like is just subject to this victim to this thing. Like it's a, it's an illness of the way you think. And biology has a lot to do with how you're thinking and why, and what your, what thoughts you're entertaining. So yes, to answer your question, there are metrics we can use to measure how at risk is someone of developing clinical depression. And if we see that they're at risk, we can cut that off by treatment. And Steph, I, I would say I can go with you like pretty, I can go quite far down that road with you. I, I agree with a lot of what you say. I would just say, you know, um, the overarching thing, if, if you could concede to this, <laughs> which no reason not to, um, it was a demon chemist biologist that set forth this evil plot to make these patterns that you can now identify and treat and it can be traced back to the fall of man. Um, okay, so... Um, <laughs> yeah, that's sound, yep. Uh, Robert, uh, you just got up here. Uh, would you like to speak about this, or what's up, Robert? If you're speaking. Robert, in three, two, one. Well, let us know if you'd like to say anything. Uh, Apostle Sean, what's up? Uh, Did you want to speak on this? Yes, let me speak to that. I love the uh, the Nation of Islam reference you just mentioned, inferred rather, uh, about Yakub, the big head scientist. <laughs> oh, I thought you were referring to Satan and Adam and the brokenness of humanity. Oh, okay, go ahead. I, I was. I, I, I oh. was. I actually don't know anything about the Nation of Islam, so if I made a reference that works, then wonderful. <laughs> yeah, according to... Uh, According to that, that Yakub, that's a uh, that, that myth, this, which you know, the nation is not found by a. You're, bit, you're a little hard to hear, Sean. You sound like you're echoing a bit. Are, am I on speakerphone? Um, I'm on my phone. I'm on my phone. That's the only way. It, is it on speakerphone? No. Oh. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll bear with you. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> no. No, I'm in a very uh closed environment. <laughs> I have my headphones on. Um, what I was, that's what I was saying. Uh, it, like I said, I like the Nation of Islam uh, inference, Yakub, the big head scientist <laughs> inference. Um, they teach that, actually, what you were just speaking about. That's how men became evil. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a little bit, it goes even further. And uh, how he, uh, how Yakub is actually the creator of white people <laughs> for all the foolishness, <laughs> all the foolishness. What is, 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 what, is what you're saying is, is Steph is really uh, the demon behind mental illness. I got that lesson <laughs> in undergrad, Apostle. I, I don't, 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 don't nobody fall out. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's really, it's really a trip when you read uh, their mythology, their mythology. Uh, but as far as um, as far as mental health goes, look, I, I'm dealing with PTSD. I've been dealing with this because I'm a war veteran. I had some, I saw some things that you know that I still I, still if somebody uh, gets loud or shoots a gun, I'm, I'm I tense up real bad. But I'm getting but thank God for thank God for. Uh, medical doctors. Um, when people really want to stand mental health, and I know so much, so it's been so little and understood lately about it, uh, especially in my community. Uh, 
uh, they they just think they just think if you're going to see a psychologist because you are in quotes crazy. <laughs> and no, because we all deal with uh, things that we seek counsel for. We seek our pastors. We seek we seek the Lord. We seek our pastors. We seek we seek our bishops. We seek someone who we can talk to and get things off our chest. So uh, as far as the scripture says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So if this in if God tells you to get wise to attain to wise counsel, what's the problem with folks going to see a, a psychiatrist, psychologist, get things off their chest? Oh, I think that's great. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the, you know, kitchen sink approach. Like, you know, get therapy, get meds, get Jesus, like just all of it. Like you should see me like the doctors think I'm crazy. Like anytime I get like a little scratch in my throat that I, I have a feeling is going to turn into something, you know, more. I'm just like, all right, just give me like whatever you get. Just give me, you know, let's like knock this thing out. Like, like, well, we like to normally try and see. I'm like, look, I'm sick like once or twice a year, except now that I'm like, dying for like a month. But normally, uh, you know, when, when you just like feel like, you know, your body better than doctors. Right. I mean, you know, doctors have books, but you you have yourself. So it's like, you know, like once or twice a year, I, I just know it's going to happen. And it always does that. I, I get like a, a scratch in my throat that then turns into earache that then turns to a throat ache. Like it's like science every single year. So I'm like, look, this is what happens. Here's what's been the fix. Like, can you just like give me all of this at once? Um, anyway, so all that's say, yeah, all of it. Like there's no reason to I, I don't see I don't want to be a bad Christian, but I don't see a reason to just pray. And I don't see a reason to just get therapy or just take meds. Like, you know, God's given us a lot of tools. Let's just use the whole toolbox. There it is. 100%. Oh, is that what you've been waiting for? Uh, yes, all of it. Use all the tools. <laughs> no, I mean, I okay. So this conversation is continuing in the chat about demonic possession. And now Noelle is saying, well, I need help. Well, and she's sorry, I'm me. suffering. No. No, you, okay, you go ahead How and then I'll I respond to you. What I said instead of yeah, you interpreting what I said. What yeah, I'm saying ahead. is I'm not negating that having seeking professional help is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is sometimes you have to know the origins of where it comes from. If we are believers in Christ, we have to know that we're fighting against these principalities. I'm not saying demonic demons are showing up everywhere and so to make it to where is this this scary movie is not what i'm saying everyone struggles with some type of some form of in any moment depression in some kind of way so there is a reason for that our gates are open which allows for these things to come in be it through through these external activities with the tv the drugs the this the that to say that's not an issue is it's false. And no one to said understand that. that. Okay, let me finish, please. You're making it seem as if I'm saying that it's this exorcism like these movies. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we fight with these demonic spirits. And the more susceptible you are based on generational curses that have been passed down, which was before it was scientific, this was biblical. Generational mm -hmm. curses consists of biology this stuff is passed down some people are more susceptible to alcohol so you have to do what you have to do to prevent that from being an issue from you if you know in your family that you may suffer from depression because of 
past family behaviors. These are all generational curses. We have to guard ourselves to say that the healing of Jesus is not enough just negates everything no that we said believe. that either. Well, the way you in the chat, the way you come off, because that's what I'm saying in the chat. So in the chat, you're coming off as that as if that's not enough. I'm not saying that getting seeking professional help is not enough. But what I'm saying in there is that doing a whole a whole aspect of both spiritual as well as seeking professional help will help the situation. Some of us don't need to do all of that, you know, but some of us do. And for those who do, because they might be too far gone, need to make. All right. I'm sorry. I have to stop you. Okay. There are many people who are on said is exactly the problem. So the reason I'm being adamant about this is because there could be people in this room who will be like, harmed by what you're saying. I don't believe that language is violent. I'm not one of those people. I'm all about free speech. But what I'm saying is if you, if someone who is struggling with this, here's what you are saying. You're they're going to have to undo all of the bad ideas that you're putting in their head. Just the unbiblical, unscientific nonsense that you're spewing. So, what you just said and you hit the nail on the head, Noel. I have never had to do that because I don't struggle with it. Right. Okay? You are looking at it as though you are not open to demonic possession and therefore have never struggled with depression. So when you feel kind of depressed, you do some yoga and you feel better. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We opened this conversation with suicide. Okay, that is this is a level of clinical recognizable like um, uh, uh, like there's a pathology to this that's recognizable. Okay, we're not talking about doing yoga and feeling better. We're talking about people who have lifelong bad habits in the way that they think and develop a recognizable treatable disorder. Never did I say that prayer could not heal you. There are plenty of people who have been fully cured through prayer. Okay. There are never have I said the Lord could not come and release you from this. My whole thing to you is that when you look at somebody and say, oh, you're depressed and, and yoga is not helping you because you have a demon. You are 100% going to push that person further into that place. Okay. And it's, completely biblically unsound. It's unscientific and it grinds my gears because it's very personal to me. I have had a panic disorder and depression and I don't mean sometimes I get nervous. I mean, I have spent long periods of my time of my life completely agoraphobic where I can't get out of bed. Okay. And I have a marriage and three children and a really great job. Like I have a great life. This is like Aside from that, it's not like I'm feeling a little sad. It's not like I'm a little nervous to go to the grocery store. If you've ever had a full-blown panic attack, you know what I'm talking about, that these can go on for days and weeks and months at a time if you're not receiving treatment, okay? So when I hear, the point is, when I was a teenager and I first got this, this first developed, I had no idea what it was. I did not have any sound advice. I didn't have anyone teaching me through this, but my youth pastor said, God can heal you if your faith is strong enough and you need to pray. And I spent 10 years in that place, my entire 20s. If I'm nervous at a restaurant with my friends in college, I just start praying. And what it does is you start thinking, my faith isn't strong enough. I'm not praying hard enough. God doesn't love me enough, right? And when I'm reading about Paul saying, the Lord has not removed this thorn from me, I finally started being like, wait a minute, God can love me and I can still have this condition, right? So I started to be able to look at it differently from the point of view of my faith. I started praying differently. I started praying, Lord, help me accept this. Lord, help me be okay with these physical symptoms. Help me be okay with this. And then then I discovered a type of therapy three years ago that completely revolutionized the way I was thinking. 
okay? And we can go into that. If any of you have any questions about that, please feel free to message me. The point is, I spent years thinking that this was demonic and the Lord had abandoned me because of what I was being told about it. And I got worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, when I had good spiritual counselor counsel and good psychological help, I fully recovered from a type of panic disorder that had me so agoraphobic I could not leave my bedroom, okay? So again, this is not, I, I, this is personal to me because I've been through it, but it is so ridiculously common. 70% of Americans today are diagnosed with clinical anxiety, panic, depression, or OCD at some point in their lives. And they're all sister illnesses. And if not treated, or if you're told it's a demon, or if you're told you can pray it away, you will not get better. So this concludes my TED talk. That's why I'm mad about it. Who wants to follow that? Uh, Karash, welcome. What's on your mind? Hey, thank you guys for uh, allowing me to me to come up and stuff, and uh, uh, and thank you for that uh, spirited uh, t uh, testimony, uh, Sister Steph. I never had a chance to uh, to to hear you speak, but was definitely blessed uh, by what you said. Um, I have um. I don't know when I when I look at the uh, the say when when Jesus came up to shore right and there was the man that wasn't in his right mind right um, and then uh, he was obviously demon possessed. Now I I am not going to sit sit here and stand on this hill and say that everything that what you were saying, Steph was is 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 a is is similar to that i'm not saying that at, at all you know i think what you describe i mean is something different than what i would classify as you know i mean uh uh mental you know mental you know mental illness so like i have a brother you know he's homeless and he talks to himself and sometimes he'll be naked in the hallway and sometimes he says he speaks to aliens and stuff, right? Um, some some people don't have to have something that drastic. What I just said to say that for people to fit the criteria of whatever they would say is mental illness. But I suffice that to say this. I do think if someone's not in their right mind, I do think it could... It could scratch the definitely scratch the surface of a demonic possession because when a person's like that, and I was like me just taking my personal um experience and stuff, the brother that I knew when he was young is not the brother that I know now. How sweet and kind and loving that he was, it seems like that individual has morphed and transformed to where that's not even present anymore, which I have to feel like my brother is under a demonic possession, which means it's a spirit that is un completely unrecognizable and stuff. You know what I mean? And it's hard for me because I love him and stuff, but I was like, where's my brother at? And I pray in the morning, like, Lord, Father, God, restore my brother's mind. 
restore him, Lord. Because I believe that he lost his way. No, I'm not no clinician. I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist. None of that. But I don't know what any one of those professions that I just named who actually specialize in demon demon possession. And I know, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. I, I have no idea. All I know is I lost my brother. He's okay. not the same. He's not the same anymore. So Koresh, um, I want to ask you a few questions and I hope that you don't, you know, I mean, we're being open with each other and I'm, I'm totally with, this sounds horrible. And I'm so sorry for you and for your family. Is for your sure. brother yeah, using any kind of drugs? I don't know. Okay, not sure. Is he in treatment for any kind of mental health issues? No, because he, okay. he 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 admits that he he always says there's nothing wrong with me. He always says that we yeah. we have we have gotten him under, um, like when he was terrorizing my mom before she passed away. She uh we we did get him under those three uh what is those three days uh uh psychiatric fifty one fifty hold. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we we did that, we did that, but that doesn't really classify him because uh, he said some things that really disturbed me, that made us have to, you know, call the police and get the paddy wagon out there. And but right. when he when he's in that situation, uh, brothers and sisters, he acts completely normal. Yeah. And, so, and so I I don't know. I was like, man, does he know what he's doing or what? I don't I don't I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about. I don't know about that. Well, so we don't know, right? And so, so it's almost like if someone in your house started having a severe um, physical symptom, they're having a seizure. It's like you standing there and try to analyze why they're having the seizure or what caused it or how it happened or how to prevent it is not really possible. You're not a doctor, right? You can, and you can, you can pray over this person and you can ask God to deliver them and you can ask for guidance and wisdom. And of course, God grants those things sometimes. All right. And it's like, but when he doesn't, that's okay too. Right. Because we're not here to try to dictate how God is going to do things. So what I would say about this situation is that, and, and this is such a great case study of what I'm trying to say. There's no mental health issue that suddenly that, uh, that, clinicians would see and be baffled by, right? There's no set of symptoms like, oh my God, he stands naked in the hallway. Oh my gosh, when the, when the, um, you know, when the uh, crisis unit shows up, he acts totally normal. <gasps> We've never seen that before. That's not like, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's like, we look at mental health as though it's this big intangible like thing and bad things can happen to people. And it becomes this big, scary monster. Your brother is suffering from something whether it's the side effects of drug use or whether it's maybe undiagnosed schizophrenia that he's had for a while that has recently developed or whether it's some kind of, you know, who knows? They're, they're, and this is what I mean. We're standing here trying to analyze why a seizure has happened. Um, what I can tell you is this. Praying over your brother is exactly the right thing to do. However, he also needs help that you cannot provide for him. If he had a brain tumor, you couldn't perform that surgery in your living room no matter how much you prayed. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody who has performed a brain surgery with the help of God. Right. But like, right, right. you know what I mean? Like he, in order, there is something that he is suffering from that is recognizable, that has a pathology and that has a course of treatment. And when I say treatment, just because I see the girls going off about this in the chat, when I say treatment, I don't mean medication, my recovery, I took medication and I have taken blah, blah, blah. My full recovery from this, and honestly, I probably, I view myself very much like how you're describing your brother. And I have felt that out of control of my own 
behavior and thinking and all of it. Um, so, you know, my recovery actually ended up not involving medication at all. So I don't mean to say treatment as in pills. I mean to say there is a path for him to recover from whatever it is he has. So dismissing it as demonic and saying that you are going to pray. And I know this is not what you're saying, but if you, if you diagnose him with demon possession, you are condemning him to stay that way. Does that make sense? Well, well let me, let me, let me ask, let me say this. I mean, if you don't mind, I mean, just real quick, cause we can build, we can build with each other with all sincerity and an and open heart. Right. What, what I was saying when I, when I spoke in the beginning, right. When I'm, when I'm going through the pages of scripture, right, I have to I have to I have to acknowledge and, and conclude that when Jesus came uh, in the presence of this man who was naked and and Jesus knew he wasn't in his right mind. Right. What spoke out of that individual, which was the which was the demons that was inside him that right. made him not be in his right mind. Right. Yep. So I'm trying, I'm trying to correlate it to scripture, right? There was no clinician there. Matter of fact, we could say Jesus was a clinician. If we yes. want to go there, you know what I mean? Yes. Like Jesus, right. And, and, and it was only when he, when he had um, interaction with the risen Lord yep. was his mind restored. Right. You see what I'm saying? So what uh, what I'm saying is like I I, I don't want to just say demon possession loosely, but 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 who, uh, what professional will actually classify it as demon possession? None of them because it's not. That's so, what I'm saying to you, right? Okay, hang, hang on, I, I got it. What, 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 so what, I, hang on, it? stop, stop, stop. I I I got it. This is killing me, Steph. I agree with most of you, and I think what you said earlier was. Under what, like the overwhelming majority or under most circumstances, it's not demons. And I would say, sure, just in my life experience, I would agree with that. But that's not to discount. Like, you know, if, if there's some undiagnosed thing and you go, you know, I don't know, like, hey, let me pray for you, buddy. You're not trying to diagnose them. You're not trying to fix them. You're just like, oh, you know, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Let me pray for you. And their freaking eyes roll back and blood starts coming out of their mouth. And the otherworldly voice says, no, the child is mine. Ha ha. I hate your God. That may be a time that you think maybe this is a demon. Um, if it's just some di undiagnosed thing, you know, get him, get him help, like Steph is saying. But um, I think that's the only. I totally agree with you, Karash. That is biblically legit, and it can happen. But I'd say this may be where you know, for the believing folks, spiritual discernment comes in. So if it just seems like a seizure, are we going to think, well, the guy was seizing and running around naked, cutting himself, so demons? Or are we going to think, okay, this could just be an undiagnosed fall of mankind, just like a paralytic or something like that? Um, you know, it's just attributed to this fallen world with imperfections and people have issues. Um, so let's get him some, you know, help just from natural physicians in this world, which I believe God empowers and, you know, lets us have the brains to do chemistry and biology and come up with medicines and treatment. Um, praise God. Um, so I, I would say that. But then, Steph, I, I, I'm sure you would agree, um, you know, if there's something like that, right, where you're like, well, let me just say a prayer for you. And there's something other than like professional, like, you know what, someone would diagnose. Like, I don't know. And I, I, I don't I don't think you live in a world where that cannot happen. But I would say that would be your markers. Right. So I do believe, you know, demons can totally possess people. But I think, you know, it's going to be pretty undeniable, spiritually speaking. Um, so, you know, if there's like lots of crazy, strange voices and you're like, this guy is not that good of an actor. Or, you know, just, I don't know, weird, freaky crap. You've seen Exorcist. Maybe that's a little overkill, but you get the idea, right? So, I, well, I mean, sister, I think I heard at one point 
all of us said, you know, the kitchen sink approach, like all the tools. I think Steph, D, and myself, you know, were big supporters of all the tools. Not sure what happened to chat, wasn't watching. But um, yeah, that would be it. So that, that's my piece. Just had to say that, Steph. Um, do you agree with that or am I crazy? Like, no, you know, I said, let me say a little prayer. Hold on, real quick. I can only hear one person at a time. I'm going to respond to Nate and then I'm going to toss it back to Crash because I know he wants to respond too. Um, yes, I agree with this. So the the thing that I'm saying, I'm not saying it's not possible. Like I'm a cessationist. So when, in my view, when I look at what happened in the Bible, I'm seeing these things being done for God's glory. This man is behaving in a way that's similar to your brother. It's scaring people. This man is behaving in a way that's unusual and scaring people. And he is delivered of a demon that was causing that behavior, right? And so also other similar miracles we see are people raising from the dead, being healed of blindness and, and paraplegia and all sorts of things that we also generally do not see in the news today, right? We don't see limbs growing back on the news. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying that these things were occurring in Christ's day where Christ was because Christ was doing them, <laughs> right? And then we see in the early church, the signs and wonders where the apostles are doing the similar things, right? So I, there's a conversation to be had there about what's different between then and now. And I, again, and it's a separate conversation, but I'm going to fall into the idea of cessationism where the circumstances changed. Now, my, my thing to you, Karash, is that looking at this story about what happened in the Bible to this man and saying my brother is behaving the same way um, is not enough to say that man had a demon that Christ cast out. My brother has a demon. Um, it, it doesn't, I, I know why you're arriving at that place, but we know a lot about psychology. We know a lot about brain function. We know a lot about the way that people think. Um, and we can pretty safely say today that there's a treatment path for your brother that doesn't involve an exorcism. But I also want to tell you that praying over him is again, the right thing to do, right? But your brother also needs medical treatment and he can fully return to the person he was with proper treatment. Uh, I, I mean, I, it just, I it is, uh, go yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I mean, it seems easy, right? Like, I don't know why, I, I don't think we should be fighting back and forth too much. Like, you know, go say a prayer for him. Maybe, you know, without the freaky effects and holy water, but it's like, hey, you know, let me just pray for you, blah, 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 I'd like to pray again. If something really nuts starts happening when, I don't know, you say Jesus a bunch, maybe consider that demon a little bit more and also get help. But if, you know, you're like, hey, you know, I, I pray, I'm a Christian, blah, blah, let me say a little prayer. They're like, oh, thanks for your prayers, but, you know, I'm still having issues and I'm still crazy. Perhaps okay. not a demon. Either way, that... go get the guy help. Yeah, well, okay, I think, I, think, I think there's two issues here that we sh I think we should acknowledge, right? Because remember, um, there's two things. I mean, one where Sister Steph is, is talking about, which is completely legitimate, right? But remember, there's if there's a spirit, indeed there's a spirit involved in that individual, it was the, it was him meeting the Lord that he took he took the uh spirit that was inside that man and put him in put it put the demon somewhere else. What I what I'm not hearing is Clinicians can't do that. Psychologists cannot do that. They don't do that. And so when my sisters are saying that, oh, there's medical treatment for that, and we understand that without saying that we we speak against the spirit that is in that individual and sending it somewhere else, I don't hear her saying that. Right, because okay, so so what what I keep coming back to this. I don't believe a demonic spirit is involved in what's happening to your brother. That's why I'm giving you the advice that I'm giving you. 
And I would say I'm not making such an absolute claim, and I see benefit in what both of you are saying and don't know how we're still talking about this. Um, so, yeah, a clinician, uh, like what a clinician can do, what medicine can do, if your guy, let's just say, let's give some scenarios, and goodness, Lord, help us have a different conversation. So if a guy is legit demon-possessed, even Steph can't deny it. She's like, guy's got demons. And you don't want to pray and cast it out, you know, using the Bible stuff, then Take the guy that even Steph would say, oh, that's a demon. I'm a believer. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's flying or something. So that's a demon. What can modern science, apart from God, do? Well, well nothing because it wouldn't exist, but you know what I mean. Secular science um, would shoot that guy full of halidol or trazodone and knock that demon out and put the demon to sleep. And if that didn't work, then maybe they'd have some more believers in demons. But that wouldn't cure them. That wouldn't get rid of the demon. But it would pacify them to a level that society could expect, and they'd keep them in a sanitarium all, like, psyched up and, you know, drugged out, and the guy would still be full of demons. Um, that's the best best case of a worst-case scenario. Um, or none of that would work, and then they'd be like, oh, gosh, call a priest. This guy's got something that medicine can't fix. Um, so that's the answer. So, yeah, to the spiritual person, if someone's legit possessed by demons, and by the way, you talk about cessationists, that had to do with spiritual gifts, though, stuff Like, you know, the prophecies, prophets, the offices, apostles, stuff like that. Um, not not demony stuff, unless you, you, you make it mean that. But... Um, I'd say, yeah, so to the spiritual person, if someone's got demons, it's going to be, you know, invoking the name of Jesus, casting them out with prayer, perhaps fasting, just like the Bible says. Um, and, and even if that gets rid of the demon, they could still have, I don't know, some PTSD, some after effects like uh, Sean was talking about earlier. Like they could have some stuff that they legit need counseling and therapy and maybe some, you know, low dose medications for. So, I mean, there, there's it, it's so fluid. There's so many ways to mix and match this. Like, yes, I believe there have been examples of people complete demon-possessed through prayer, got the demons out, nothing else was required. There have been people who have not had demons, who have had medication and or therapy, and that makes them stable. Nothing else is required. And I, I'm just going to make a claim. There have been plenty of people who have probably had issues, also demons, got spiritual help and uh, secular, psychological, or medic medicinal help, and now they're fine too. So to, to pronounce, like, my, what was it you said, grinds my gears earlier stuff? Like, the thing that kind of bothers me is when someone is so beholden to absolutism, like, you know, it's always this way, it's always that way, when there is zero evidence that we can make that claim. Um, so, you know, I'm comfortable with large majorities. Like, you know, large majority of people are not demon-possessed. Like, I, I don't really have a lot of evidence other than my anecdotal experience, but I'm comfortable saying the overwhelming majority of people don't have demon problems. They have a, just a run-of-the-mill sin problem, and they need Jesus. Um, but to say always, I can't do that. Um, anyways, are well, we all yeah, happy? Can just we to, all agree? <laughs> just to put a nice bow on that, I'm I'm saying that he, my point is even what Karash is describing should not be attributed to demons. I guess that's my whole thing. Like, let's say let's say that I'm totally wrong, and that demon possession is the the cause of this, right? Then what we also know, because it's been proven over and over and over, is that certain therapies and sometimes certain medications can solve this problem. So, you know, the church has always looked at it like the medication is masking like this thing that probably is demons or whatever in the most extreme example. What I'm saying, even if I'm wrong and even if it is demons, there still is a path to recovery for mental health disorders the same way there is a path to recovery for the common cold, the same way there is a path to recovery. Like it works the same. There isn't some magical mystical thing. Our brain works in predictable ways and people who develop depression all show the same symptoms. 
that's why we can name it. So my point is that even in Karash's example of his brother, I'm not going to issue a diagnosis because I'm a specialist in anxiety, depression, and OCD, not in, <laughs> not in what he's, you know, I just don't know. Um, but the point is, even if it is demon possession, the way out of that is like, we have ways to recovery. So in the way that we understand this psychologically, you would do the therapies, you might take medication depending on what your condition is. And once you are in a place that is more stable, you address the spiritual issues. I had a lot of spiritual issues to do, to address after I came out of panic disorder, um, well, I mean, but I couldn't do them while in it because you're not like you're, you have to, you can only fight one dragon at a time. You get out of that place and then you manage the spiritual side, right? So that's the advice I'm giving him is like, don't, yeah, he, there's a path out of it and it needs to be done the way that we know is effective. Uh I don't know. I'm split somewhere between, you know, all the people saying it's demons, which don't do that. And, and you saying, even if it is demons attack, you know, the non-demon stuff first, I'd say, I mean, you know, if it's demons, right. So the premise has to be demons are verified. However, that happens. So if demons address the demon, <laughs> um, it's just what constitutes an actual demon, because the way you're prescribing, it's like, well, how are you ever going to get completely in a, in a right state of mind? If you're addressing like, again, the, somewhere between science and demons if it right. legit is it if it legit is a demon how are you like you know making peace enough with a demon that's like the devil on your back except it's like a literal demon like in you like that just right. seems, so, that just seems like biblically the antithesis of like the wrong answer great question hey. okay so here's how right and and so the way that this works is that when you have and again i'm not talking about bipolar schizophrenia or, or other things like the, the really common ones, the ruminative issues, right? When you have these, and even in other in disorders, you're not in this permanent state. Like even what Koresh is describing, his brother has episodes of, of suffering and then episodes of normalcy, right? So the reason that that happens is largely due to adrenaline. And so you may get into a certain pattern of thinking, or you may have something biological occur where you have an episode of this. And so you cannot like... <sighs> nobody is in this permanent state of this you're going through an episode it's it's peaks and valleys so what you need to do if you're going to address this is you need to level it somehow before you can begin to address the spiritual things because if you're so in my example like a panic disorder i would go into and out of panic right but the panic sometimes would be at such a high level that it would last for weeks at a time um but even when i was at my peak like that um, there would still be times where my husband said something to make me laugh. And so I experienced like a moment of relief from it, or I get really into a task and I experience a moment of relief. What we're trying to do when we treat these things is we extend those moments of relief so that you can begin to build a foundation of more sound thinking. So I, what I'm saying is even if there is something demonic at work, you cannot effectively do that spiritual work until you have leveled out those peaks and valleys. Does well, that clarify? I, let me it, let me ask you this, yeah. um, uh, Sister Stephanie. Uh, wait, let me ask you this. Uh, hang on, Crush, one second. Then I really want to get to the other people and get away from this. But yeah, you can have the last word in a second, or I guess her, since you're asking her. But I, I you know what you're saying, Steph, and I think maybe that makes it a lot more clear. Like you know, when you're talking about spiritual work or demonic stuff, um, I, I get that. I think that's almost worthy of a different category. Like when I'm thinking, like demon possessed right not some like churchy oppression or something like that like legit demon possessed i i guess the picture i have in my mind not a demonologist um is not a lot of lucid moments like you're like you know 
going hard, just crazy, like nuts. Like either someone's going to pump you full of medicine and make you catatonic, um, or you're going to be just like crazy, crazy all the time. Exactly. So that's what I'm pushing back against is that that's the perception that people have, but it's not that. There are always peaks and valleys to these conditions. And like I said, I've been in a panic state Unless there's not, for weeks then maybe at a demon. time. <laughs> okay. If you, yeah, but that doesn't happen, right? Like we don't, we don't see people who are, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It, it's not like when you're diabetic, you're in this like crisis state all the time, forever and ever. It's, it's the it works the same way. There are peaks and valleys, there are ebbs and flows. So we need to level that before we can begin to address well, the underlying it. Well, I'll say this. Well, I, I, I lied. Let me say more thing. Um, I didn't mean, didn't really lie. Forgive me. Um, but no. Okay. So like, for example, like I always go back to this Tibetan story, like I heard, and I, I, I keep meaning to look for the article. It was a long time ago. I heard like there's this Tibetan monastery somewhere in, well, I guess Tibet. And there's this like this cave that's been like known, like for, for years and years and years known for like their words, like demonic spirits. And they try to like, you know, receive this higher level of elevation or enlightenment or whatever it is by like giving themselves to these demons. So they do all these weird messed up blood rituals and they, I forget the order or whatever it is. And remind me to look that up, but they like, there's some cave in Tibet. And they will like prepare and do these sacrifices and like blood rituals and all this weird stuff to prepare themselves for these, this demon cave. And they'll like go in and try to stay for like a night or three days or whatever the time is. They'll try to stay and offer themselves to the demons and like, like legit every bad idea ever, they do this and they try to offer themselves to get power or enlightenment or, or something like that. And they have such a high rate of like, you know, you know, death occurring and they still do it so they say something like well the people weren't strong enough or blah 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 but the point is like these people i would not you know like mental disorder would not be my go-to it'd be like okay you're cutting yourself you're doing weird occult rituals you're trying to get possessed by demons there's this you know super haunted cave where there's lots of um you know lots of this type of stuff (laughs) being reported and happening so like the, the the point is if someone like that like goes into this cave and comes out and at that moment, they start, like, begin, like, self-harm, cutting themselves, you know, and eventually, like, over the next few days, through blood loss and abuse, like, leads to death. I'd be like, okay, probably a demon. Um, anyway, I know that's what? an extreme example, but that's what I'm talking about. Well, uh, Crush, yeah, last, go, ahead, last, go ahead, Crush. Yeah, this would be the last thing uh, uh, before we put a, put a bow in it and go and speak to someone else. But, yeah, I, one, I would, I would ask, what is the criteria for demon possession the second thing i would ask if i was asking stephanie um of steph excuse me um when you were saying well we have modern medication for this and we understand this right but see it seems like you know like when when that man had an interaction with jesus and, it, and there was no medication he gave he gave glory for for his deliverance to jesus now, if we're going to give glory to the medication, which is applicable to all creeds, everything to everybody, every nation, every nationality and everything, who's going to give glory to Jesus once they take the medication and stuff and not having and not having and having that to somewhat replace a person meeting Jesus and giving Jesus the glory for their delivery and not. To so this. Yeah. So again, this is going to be that common misperception that I'm fighting back against, right? So there's also a story. And and to be clear, 
I know that you and I haven't run into each other much. I believe in the complete inerrancy of the Bible. Okay. I am one of those very conservative Christian. Like I hold to that. I'm not trying to twist something into something. It's not especially out of scripture. We also see an instance in the Bible where a man was healed of epilepsy that was attributed to demons. Right. So by your logic, we would then have to look at every child who develops epilepsy at a young age and say, well, we can't treat them for epilepsy because then God wouldn't give the glory. God wouldn't get the glory. And it's exactly the same. Do you see what I'm saying? Like those two instances, whether you're treating your brother for schizophrenia and he gets better, or whether you're treating a child for epilepsy and they get better, these are exactly the same things. Um, let's see. Uh, KC4, you were trying to say something a while ago? Yeah, I was just saying, I think it's perspective. What y'all having a conversation about is really like three people can look at the same thing. Um, an example I would give is if a doctor of Chinese medicine saw a person, they may say they have a spleen chi deficiency. They might diagnose it as that. Someone in the mental health field, psychologists might say it's PTSD with, um, with you know, some form of bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. And then a priest by his profession would say that it's demon possession in their spirits. I mean, the, the God in the Bible says honor the physician. So there is a place for someone to diagnose it, even the medicine that's created comes from things that grow in the earth. So I don't think it's all, I think we're just talking about perspective here. I don't think it's, it's necessarily what you would call it. You might call it a mental disorder. I may call it as a priest, a demon, but we, we really, either way it needs to be taken care of. And one might prescribe that you go on a long walk and do yoga. One might prescribe that you, you know, uh, completely separate yourself from everybody. Someone might be around, be around everybody else. Whatever the prescription is, is going to come from your profession and what what title you hold or what you believe would work for this particular person. But I don't think I think it's just perspective at this point. What y'all talking about? And, right. and that's so what that's I want to say too, as well, because Stephanie booted me for no reason Diana, because I have I'm a perspective. And see, that's goodbye. Okay, so the. <laughs> wow, you're in a terror today, Steph. Oh, she she is like she gets me sometimes. And actually I've been pretty friendly to Andrea lately, but she's also she's one of those people who says, like, if you don't get healed from cancer, your faith isn't strong enough. So I'm pretty allergic to that. I mean, even this is the first time I've heard her talk on mental health, but I already don't like where she goes with that. Anyway, what did he say? Um, it's perspective, right? So so we're not talking about somebody who feels depressed sometimes. We're not talking about somebody who has a hard life and they're, you know, and, and they go through hardship and we're trying to support them in that. We're talking about clinical diagnosable mental disorder, right? So that that's a very different thing. And there we don't have multiple perspectives on that. We have a treatment path that works. Like I, I'm always gonna come back to that. It, it's the same thing as giving someone with epilepsy medication for epilepsy and seeing the seizure seizures stop. When we treat clinical mental health issues, we do it sometimes with medication, most often with altering the way you think, and the symptoms stop. So, so that's that's what happens. There's no mental health issue that a psychologist or a doctor would be surprised by. And the other response I would say to you, Casey, for is that, again, we're not talking about somebody who's going through a tough time and maybe needs more iron so that they are not so lethargic, right? We're, we're talking about somebody who has diagnosed depression, like to get the diagnosis of depression, they have a full medical workup to make sure that none of that other stuff is at play. Like by the time you have received a diagnosis for clinical anxiety, OCD, depression, you have ruled out other contributors that often do play a role like low iron or like thyroid issues. We're talking about a run-of-the-mill textbook 
you know, mental health disorder, which always has a treatment path. And for the record, I, yeah, I couldn't agree on the perspectives thing either, because we're talking about like when we say demons, I don't mean like, oh, you know, they're gambling, they're wrestling with their demons, not some like ethereal thing. We actually mean like an entity, like, you know, instead of the fall of man, therefore there is sin. Therefore, this person has a disposition to alcoholism or, you know, like the generational curses. Like, I, I think that's where you get like, you know, uh, predispositions to alcoholism or something like that, as a non-spiritual person would say. Versus, you know, the, the Christians, like, there you go. Like, I, I think that's totally what the Bible means by that. Um, so not something like that that's not entity-related, but an, an actual entity of a demon. So it, it can't be um, just a perspective thing. Like, one is the presence of an evil entity doing stuff to someone, and the other is just, you know, their own issues from within themselves. Yeah, the only reason I said that, because uh, like what Steph was saying, I've seen like um, being being married to a doctor of Chinese medicine and myself believing in the Bible, some things that I might have said, like what y'all talking about, mm-hmm. we're going to pray for them, we're going to be there to support them, so on and so forth. But they use maybe acupuncture, but then also having someone close to me that's in the psychological uh, realm, they would have said, hey, they need this particular shot or they need this regimen or they need you know, or whatever they would prescribe in a mental health form. So I just, I just, I would just throw my two cents out there. Yeah. And I get that. So there's, so there's a name for those. Right. And, and, and again, I'm speaking very specifically to what we were talking about earlier, because again, just to, to recap, we opened this conversation talking about suicide. So by the time you're at that point, you have had a clinical diagnosable thing, right? Again, we're not talking about somebody who's like, oh my gosh, I'm going through divorce and things are so hard and I'm doing acupuncture and I'm taking vitamins and it's helping me. You know, those things can help. This is not. But when we're at the realm of like a diagnosable, treatable disorder, those things become labeled coping mechanisms. So when you're getting acupuncture and the idea is I want to make my depression go away, this is a compulsion. This is a coping mechanism. Um, I take my B vitamins every day because they help me not have a panic attack. And if I do, if I miss them, I will have a panic attack. And then these are compulsive coping mechanisms. We're trying to, you're, you're, you're obsessively trying to eliminate the disorder. Um, I'm, I wash my hands all the time. And if I don't wash my hands, then something bad's going to happen. This is a, this is a compulsion. So, you know, what you're describing is going to help for somebody who's going through a tough time. It is going to be counterproductive for somebody who's going through uh, what we would call a severe sense or a ruminative disorder. So that that's my, there's a difference, right? By the time you've already had the medical workup, uh, you have to let go of the Chinese medicine. That's that's the way to heal from that. I was wondering if I can ask Koresh, uh, Koresh a question. Yeah. Koresh, I, did I hear you correctly? I think you said like <clears throat> a family members going through something you may call a demon possession and the medical world may call a, a will more likely diagnose with a mental illness. Is it that you are wanting the glorification to go to the God you believe in? And it's hard for you to accept the fact that this person will benefit medical treatment. Is that, is that the issue I'm trying to follow? Uh, I wouldn't say that I was predisposed to like saying that, uh, for something that I don't understand, you know, I want God, to, of course, I, yes, I would want God to go, have the glory, but I think my whole thing was not under, not understanding at all what was going on with my brother, for seeing a clear difference from his humbleness, how his character, how he articulates things, 
and that that's not him anymore. The brother I know just completely changed. I would so for me, yes, I go to prayer because, like I said, the only thing that I could see scripturally that I could make sense in my mind through scripture is when uh, when Jesus came came encounter with that naked man out the cave who was hurting harming himself, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the things that uh, my brother would do, you know, to 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 my mom and stuff like that, it, it just wasn't him. You know what I mean? So for me as a Christian, of course, I would petition God for assistance because I think that was something that, so I, I mean, what I believe is like only God can help him. You know what I mean? Yes, you know, I'm not a clinician or nothing like that. <laughs> but then again, my brother was extremely reluctant to get help. So he never wanted to go on on the path you know, what I mean, maybe that the one that Steph is offering is saying that there's help there. So I can't I can't shut the door on what Steph is suggesting. I'm saying that my brother wasn't willing to go through that path. So once the doors is closed that he, he you know, what I mean, he didn't want to do it himself. I'm left to just try to pray and try to sit up here and try to understand because he he's not helping me understand what's going on with him. You know gotcha. what I mean? so, so you're saying your brother did not want to get clinical help? Absolutely, absolutely. He didn't want to because okay, he didn't. Cool. He he didn't want to be classified gotcha. as a no, person I, that's crazy. You know, what I mean? understand. He didn't want I that. Yeah. I'm following you. So, my my question is, <clears throat> if your brother did get the clinical help, is it going to trouble you that the clinical help helped him, and you can't give this glory to God? <clears throat> However, I would beg to differ. I think you still could give the glory to God. Like if you hold the belief that God caused everything to happen, God gave these people the ability to understand medical uh, mental illnesses. And these people are giving God the glory because God gave them that ability. So God, God can still get the glory. Would you not follow that? I, w- I, don't know if I just, would think, yeah. I would think, I would think uh, to answer your question uh, truthfully, I would say if that is the mechanism that God, who I believe in would use, to restore my brother's mind, then yes, God still gets the glory. And no, I'm not going to be mad because uh, some, you know, clinician or psychologist or psychiatrist helped him. No, I'm not. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I love my brother and whatever help that he could get to be back to the brother that I've known and love. I mean, I still love him. I mean, I kind of keep my distance from him because I don't know what he's going to do at any moment and stuff. You know what I mean? But at the same time, if God used that, yes, I'd be like, thank you, Lord. You know what I mean? That my brother is back. You know what I mean? Whether it's that or through by prayer, I, God still gets the glory for for both both ways. You know what I mean? For me. Gotcha. I hope I answered your question. I'm sorry, bro. Yeah, you did. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Well, guys, I am going to have to run. This has been a pretty decent two and a half hour talk. Steph, I just assume you're uh, going to go take some deep breaths out in your yard or field or something. No, I'm fine. I just was messaging CEO in the back channel. It's just, you know, I, I suffered and so many people are in this boat, especially Christians. I suffered so long for no reason. So I get really adamant about it because the people around me who were trying to help me contributed without realizing. And when I found the way out um, of mental health crisis, uh, i I look back now and I think, oh my gosh, if just, if I had understood this, 
I, I would never have had to deal with all of that. You know, it, it's just such a simple way out of it. And there's so much miseducation on it. So yeah, I guess bottom line for me, if you're struggling with this, feel free to reach out to me or, or to anyone else. There's, there's just, you don't have to suffer. God doesn't hate you. God isn't withholding healing from you. Um, all this good stuff, you know? Yeah. Ugh. And if you no. can't reach out to Steph because your hands have morphed into claws and you can't type and you're gurgling and talking in unknown <laughs> languages, um, then it may be a demon consult a clubhouse Christian. One <laughs> probably don't. It's probably yeah. the worst. Probably the worst one. Go consult a pastor at a local. Go to church. go to your local Catholic church. They've got that. They've they've got the corner. Oh, on don't the, do that, that one. Kind of thing. Yeah. No, they've the exorcism. Come on, the Protestant game on exorcism is nowhere near. You know, the Protestant game is the biblical name. Like the name of Jesus is is not requisite. Like you don't need like robes and holy water. Like that's like what the first part of this discussion, like, is Jesus enough or not? Like, do you need robes and funny hats? No, you do not. Um, so anyways, um, fun times, suicide and demons. Yeah. All right, everyone take care. See you guys later. Bye guys.